Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmitty, Swanee and Clarky visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, how are we all? Very well, thank you. Very happy to be here. How was your week? Carla, would you like to go? I'll go if you like. Um, my well, week was fantastic. More exciting than mine. You've been on holidays, haven't you? Well, yeah, I was on holidays. So my week was was really nice. We were a little bit, did a bit of COVID dodging because we were going to go to Mildura, which we spoke about last week. That got into an extended lockdown. So we ended up going to Echuca for a couple of nights and then over to a little place called Robinvale on the Murray. Beautiful. Stayed at the caravan park there. Yeah, it was nice. Um, yeah. It's a park that doesn't have any activities for children there. So um, there were no children there. It's like the sandals, is it? Of, um, the sandals. Do you know what sandals is? You might not. Yeah, I feel like old, it was something that was advertised when we lived in the UK. Yeah, it's an adults only resort, like in the Bahamas or something like that. And I think yeah. you've been to an adults only caravan park. Yeah, well, they don't advertise it as such, but it did end up having that feel about it, except that it wasn't like a a dirty adults only kind of thing it was like a uh, you know a retiree dragging caravans around australia kind of thing cool well carla yeah. what was your week like yeah. do you know what by the time it's sunday i cannot even recall i know it was busy with lots of school things with the kids and whatever but i've had one kid go off to camp so that's i'm only down to two this week which will be a nice treat so yeah all good can't complain cool a little bit of me time maybe I doubt it. But anyway, the most important person is you, Schmidt, because your um, restrictions have been lifted, right? So you must be in a better place. I mean, I'm still in my kitchen. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, we're, we're getting there. Well, I got my hair done, which was one of my three things that I said I had to do now coming out of COVID. And I shaved my legs. It was my second thing. What How did your legs go with the shaving? Because it would have been the first time in a while. Oh, they got a few little nicks, but you know, other than that, they were fine. I saw this funny meme on um, Facebook. It said something like, "My partner's lovely. He runs his fingers through my hair and always comments how soft it is, and doesn't even complain that it's on my legs." And <laughs> I showed it. <laughs> I showed it to Tony, and he laughed. We went out for dinner last night, which was a nice treat. And I think for me, the the bit that was the most noticeable was the food wasn't just that little bit cold. So, you know, throughout all of COVID, we've been getting Uber Eats. And to be honest, we've had a lot more restaurants come on board with that, with the delivery services because of lockdown. But everything is just that little bit cold. So it was an absolute delight to have food delivered to our table that wasn't cold. It was great. At a temperature it was intended to be at. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was lovely. You know, you're only on a short run because so, they've got really real limitations so we're only allowed sort of an hour and a half but it was it was really nice to get out so yep that was our week so that was good all right so shall we introduce ourselves i'm schmitty i'm swanee and i'm clarky and, and together, together we are, are trial by wine <laughs> all right so Paul, what are you drinking this fine afternoon? So I just wanted to, um, I, I haven't poured it yet because I felt like whilst it won't be a visual thing, there might be a little bit of theatrics through the audio. Yeah. So we're having a, an All Saints sparkling Shiraz and I just thought it would be nice if I opened it whilst we were recording so that everyone could hear the Love pop. Love a sparkling Shiraz. Is it nice and chilled? It is. Ready? Yep. Woohoo! 
wonderful. Well, it scared the dog. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy, Happy last New summer. Year. Happy ending of lockdown. Happy only having two kids around for the week instead of three. Yeah. So much to celebrate. Happy, happy, happy. Correct. And Carla, what are you drinking? Well, I've left it downstairs, sadly, because I would have loved to have brought it upstairs. I would have had a poor man's peanut. And what a poor man's peanut is, <laughs> sounds dreadful, sounds worse than it actually is. Good you tell. may recall that Schmidty got me um, a bottle of Grunter's Wipeout which was the poor cousin of Malibu. Well, this week, whilst doing the groceries, I came across pineapple-flavoured milk. So I figured in line with a Midorian milk, I could create a pina colada by using Grunge's Wipeout with a dash of pineapple milk, which I think would end up being a poor man's peanut. Feel my poor man's Let's have a poor man's Can't you text Raj to bring it up to you? Oh, that's not a bad idea, actually. That's how it works in this house. <laughs> oh, a poor man's peanut for money. And what about you, Schmitty? Well, today I am drinking uh, something that I would never normally drink, but I am trying to learn from poor decisions made in the past. So I am drinking a Frosinet Premium Sparkling Rosé with the alcohol removed. And this is mainly so that I can get through this story without being slurry McSlurry. So, <laughs> well, that's disappointing. Uh, my plan is to get through my story to a point, and then I've got a lovely bottle of. I, uh, I think I'll do the same. Actual sparkling. So, so um, maybe you drink half of that bottle and then tip it out and then get on to something. Else. <laughs> It's funny you should say that because I poured my first glass of it before we started and I had a sip and I thought, oh, God, I can't drink this, and I poured it away. And then I thought, oh, actually, it's not that bad. It's just sweeter than I would normally have. And then I thought, I just I want to feel like I'm part of things, but I also really want to do justice to the story. So, so that's why I'm on this. But then when we get to probably two-thirds of the way through, I've got a delicious sparkling Gewürztraminer from Delatite Winery, which I will Excellent. open that sounds like a good plan, I think. Okay, so obviously it's my story this week. Would you like to hear it? Absolutely. You look excited. Love. We'd love to hear it. Okay. I've spent three weeks on this. <laughs> this is massive. And so as a result of it being massive, and I can't, obviously can't tell the whole story because there's just too much. It goes over 20 years, so I can't fill in all the gaps. But I've done so much watching documentaries, reading. I even read the full transcripts of the court case which is like 300 pages i cannot tell you how fascinating this case is and that's that i got really really deep down that rabbit hole so i'll kick off so as you both know in my professional life i when i'm not doing podcasting i'm a marketer and um, i manage marketing and brands basically and i often define marketing as influencing people at a distance because it's a, a mass kind of thing. So you're talking to a whole bunch of people at one time trying to influence their behaviours, which is unlike sales, which is often a one-to-one -one relationship. Marketing is a discipline that works to get many people to behave in the way the marketer wants. So normally that's buying a product. Branding is part of marketing, but it's one of the many streams of marketing that people specialise in. Brands are essentially patterns of familiarity, meaning, fondness and reassurance that exist in the minds of people. And that was by Tom Goodwin. I don't know who he is, but he sounded good. So if you think of major brands like McDonald's, Coke, Apple, Amazon, you're probably familiar with 
As you interact with the brand and customer experience and consistent experiences, look and feel and how you interact and feel about the brand are all part of what makes a brand. So, you know, often I have to explain, it's not just the logo or the font. <laughs> There's a lot more that goes into the creation of a brand. So what has this got to do with my case? I hear you ask. Well, you could say my case is about being the worst possible marketer and brander, but it's really quite a bit more disturbing than that. As I said, really big case. I can't cover all of the aspects of it in one go, but I would like to say my sources were Rolling Stone magazine, Chet Harden, Wikipedia. I watched The Seducer on Stand, which is available on Stand in Australia. Highly recommend it. Halfway through The Valve on Foxtel Go, absolutely recommend it. Investigation Discovery has this brilliant uh, documentary about a subset of this story as well. Forbes.com, which was actually the first article I read that got me in. And of course, the official court transcripts of the case. Now this case, I had 72 pages of notes that I've had to oh cull down God. to 10. Cull down to 10, as I say, there's a lot in it. 10 but I, Well, yeah, I know, I mean, the Russian doll maker was 10 and it nearly killed me to get the, to the end of that one. So no, we'll see how we Good on it, yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, every chance I'm going to be slurring by myself then by the ends of this. Just no, the heads up. I'll, I'll catch up. It's just that, you know, there's, there's a lot in it. And I, and I really want to do it justice because there are a lot of victims in this case. And I will say, I know we have a writer at the front of our every one of our episodes saying that we have disturbing um, uh, content. This case in particular does deal with themes around child abuse, sexual abuse, coercive control, psychological and physical rape. Uh, and I'd like to call out a trigger warning right at the top. So if anyone is likely to be triggered by these themes, I suggest you pass on this episode. I don't dwell on any of those things, but if you have an interest in this and you start looking into this case and you start reading about it yourself, then I'll just warn you that those themes are prevalent across the case. Okay. There's a point where I do talk about the more salacious elements of the case, but I've tried to not dwell on some of the specifics that are, are really pretty awful. Okay. So. I feel forewarned. Okay, cool. That was the idea. I'm bracing for impact right now. <laughs> All right. Well, it might take a bit of time to get there, but um, here we go. In August 1960, Keith Ranieri was born. The son of an advertising executive and dance instructor, Keith grew up in New York. His father was purported to have said to an early girlfriend that when Keith was seven, his parents told him that he was special. What we did is we told Keith about how gifted and how intelligent he was. And he said it was almost like a switch went off. And suddenly overnight, he turned into like Jesus Christ. And that he was superior and better than everybody, like he was a deity. Could he he said that... water? <laughs> Not yet. He said it was like... Water Sorry, from he's... water? No, he's not that good. With a loaf of bread? Sadly, he's not that good, and I don't think he performs Broad. a single miracle. He said that it was that dramatic and that profound, and he said it went right to his head. Now, his parents' marriage sadly ended, and he lived with his mother, who had a heart condition and was an alcoholic, according to Keith. Keith looked after his mother until she passed away when he was 17. His mother recalled overhearing him talking to dozens of girls he'd have around when he was around 13 telling every single one the same thing. And by the way, when I say dozens of girls, not in a group. So every time he had a girl round, she would hear him say something along the lines of, I love you, you're special to me, you're the special one, you're important, you're the only one in my life and I love you. And she said, he's saying this to all these girls. 
He's clearly lying because all of them aren't special. Was that just they can't all be special? Or actually, like, if you look at her, she is so not special. That's got to be a lie. Maybe. Yeah, he's, I haven't read a great deal about his mother, but she was very unwell. And given that he was born in the 60s, we can assume that her influences were sort of like 1950s housewife. She was very reliant on her husband. And then when she was ill, she became very reliant on Keith to look after her. So Keith was the man of the family and was pretty much her yeah. single point of care? support, support yeah. and care. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I did struggle with the chronology of some of the early events of this because some people would say it happened in the 80s and, and but it seemed wrong in terms of the timeline. But the gist is that in, in his early 20s, Keith had a relationship with a slew of women, including grooming a 12-year-old girl who he hired as a dog walker and taking her virginity. He was never charged with this. Well, you just said that so casually. It sounds like, you know, he might have come across in the paper of, you know, um, happy to walk dogs and also lose my virginity. Like No, no, she didn't advertise. He was a he, yeah, he was a pedophile. He groomed her. So same kind of thing. She was a really insecure young girl at the time, and you know he said, "I love you. You're amazing. You're special." And he made her feel incredible. And and it was over time that he eventually started a sexual relationship with her. How now, old he was, was he at the time? This is the bit that I'm not sure of, but it's somewhere between his twenties and thirties. So in that ten year period. And she's twelve. Yep, he is a monster. He was never charged with this, although it was alleged in the paper as the victim refused to wear a wire and there, were no, there was no forensic evidence. He also had a sexual relationship with several 15-year-olds when he was 24, including Gina Hutchinson, who I'll talk about a little bit later. Go on, Paul. Did you want to say something? I'm just shocked by the, and I know that these aren't your words because, you know, that's what comes up in the research, but that whole thing of the victim refused to wear a wire. She's 12. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, really good. Any kind of expectation that she would wear a wire. It's just an interesting way yep, of yep. saying. No, I totally agree. Sort of an explanation for that is that this happened in the 80s. I think, it, in fact, it was in something like 1980. And at the time, we probably weren't as aware yeah, yeah. as yeah. we are now of these things. And they wouldn't ask a victim to wear a wire now in subsequent telling of this story around this 12-year-old that what the police asked her to do at the time she wasn't comfortable with, and they wouldn't do that now. That is not processed now. Schmidt, did they find out about, I mean, had the 12-year-old's parents or had the 12-year-old gone to the police? Is that how, do we know how it came to be that they were, that she, she was on the police's radar? Like had someone reported something or is this that something looking back at it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I think... At some point, she either made a complaint or someone made a complaint, but yeah. it was more, it was run as like an allegation in the paper. She must have gone to the police at some point because, you know, this whole business about not wearing a wire. And so the police's answer was, we couldn't do anything about it because um, she, we couldn't get any evidence of this It was a totally different era because I, example being, well, the primary school that I went to in the 80s, we were told as a, you know, an entire school group that we were not allowed to go near the gardener because the gardener was not to be trusted. And I accidentally forgot that and went and told him that somebody loved him. There's this young guy and uh, I ended up in the school office and I never got in trouble, but I got in trouble for that. And that was because I think the man was a pedophile, but he was still employed at a school. Yes. It's just a different time. That would never happen now. Probably Correct. Does, but you know what I mean? So academically, Ranieri, Studied at Rensselaer Polytechnic and got a GPA of 2.26, which is pretty much he averaged a C. So later on, he claimed to have an IQ of 
242 <laughs> and was the smartest man on the planet. Now, just now he couldn't walk on water, but this was published in an Australian edition of the Guinness Book of Records in the 80s, just the one edition. And the way he got this IQ of 242 is he filled out some kind of home survey or something and sent it off. And then they said, oh, you're the smartest kid in the world. And he just basically played on that for the rest of his life. So I would have seen that book because I'm telling you, in Russell Bell Primary School's library, we were not allowed to take home the Guinness Book of World. Oh God, I can't say it. Guinness Book of World Records. But oh, I used to pour over it. They were like the hot, hot items in the library. I bet it was the same at your mm. school in the eighties. They were the so, book to be in. For all you know, you have maybe had already read his name. I may. I'm telling you, if it was in the eighties, I would have read it in Guinness Book of World Records. I love that thing. <laughs> so prof professionally, Ranieri was involved with Amway. And this is where his foundations in multi-level marketing started. There's trouble right there being involved with <laughs> Yeah. The old MLM, I think they call them for short, multi-level marketing. <laughs> he founded his own multi-level marketing company, Consumers Byline, in 1990, which was a discount buying scheme offering commissions to those who recruited others into the scheme. Now, last week, Paul, we talked about the amazing achievements of mankind. And Carla mentioned the pyramids. Yes. yes, Carla mentioned pyramids. Not to be confused with the pyramid scheme. That's right. <laughs> Correct. I'm glad for the clarification from you on that, Carla. Yes. <laughs> I think you're, I know where you're going with this. While running CBI, he also employed Gina Hutchinson. Now, this is a 15-year-old girl that he started a relationship with when he met her. They were doing... Uh, he was sleeping with another 15-year-old girl who's name was also Gina I think she'd met him through some arts college arts thing and when they broke up she introduced her to Gina, this other Gina and he started sleeping with that Gina as well. Gina dropped out of school but continued a relationship with him and in the early 90s Renio then met a woman called Tony Natalie who was then married with a small child. She'd been told by her husband Rusty that she'd like this guy he was the smartest man in the world a concert pianist and a judo expert. Now I've actually seen this guy play the piano and all he can play is Moonlight Sonata, which is a grade six piece of music. It is not concert pianist level. And I've seen him play it and he doesn't play it very well. Just saying. And does he perform judo like he plays the piano, do you reckon? I never saw him, but probably, yes. I would say everything that he said he was is probably not quite true. When she first saw him, she wasn't overly impressed at his physicality. He was pretty short. He had a bowl haircut. It was the 80s. He had little round glasses. But after speaking to him, she found him really engaging. He told her he was going to change the world and did she want to be part of that? And of course she did. She was deeply self-conscious about her lack of formal education and he told her she was smart. What Keith was able to do was immediately ascertain your weak points and insecurities, Natalie says. And then he takes those insecurities and convinces you he's helping you with them but it's just things he uses to hold you hostage. She left her husband, and so for eight years, Ranieri and Natalie lived together, with him serving as a father figure of sorts for her young son. All the while, Ranieri was surrounded by a cohort of women who worked for his company, including Pam Kefritz, Karen Antarina, and Kristen Keefe. These women, whom Ranieri referred to as the girls, came from a wide range of backgrounds. Kefritz was the daughter of DC Republican socialites, while Keefe was a former waitress who met Ranieri while waiting tables in Albany. 
All, however, were united in their fierce devotion to him. I just would like to interrupt at this point and say that I'm not comfortable with them being called the girls because uh, your dad, the great Captain Schmidt, used to call Stuart and I the girls and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be associated with them. So. Yeah. No, oh, very fair point. point. You guys are the girls. We know that. So CBI was called out as a pyramid scheme. What a surprise. And it got shut I'm down. A pyramid scheme? It had something, I remember reading something like some huge number, like 260,000 distribution people and stuff, and it actually employed 173 people. And Was there a product? I couldn't quite see. It was discount buying. So um, I suppose I would buy a like a, well, you, do you remember where you'd get like a little book of discounts like a, for different things? I think, yeah, I think it's that kind of thing where, you know, you, you get your 20% off Costco, you get your 20% off Aldi, you get your 20% off, God. like that kind of thing. And then you would recruit other people Maybe to help you my mother, them. she would know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they, they were yeah, relatively talk about shop and discounts with Sandy. She would know all about that. I think she specialises in that. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite a shopper docker. But I think the thing that was the real issue with it was the fact that he was basically getting people to recruit other people into it and you know you wouldn't earn anything at the bottom but as you sold more and got more people into it you got commissions yeah okay so that got shut down which is good yep and in 94 he created the national health network which was a multi-level seller of vitamins uh but it failed as well well you know he he probably would have called himself an entrepreneur because in this day and age if you keep doing shit business and then failing, you call yourself an entrepreneur. <laughs> he may have called himself an entrepreneur. Yes, he probably yeah. did. <laughs> I hope he did. Anyway, that failed too. And for a while there, he worked from a back office of a health food store that was run by Natalie. And it was through this business that in 1998, Natalie met Nancy Salzman. Now, Nancy visited the store to find relief for her chronic constipation. She was literally full of shit as Nancy puts it. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, they would have made a good couple then. Correct. Ah, we'll come to it. So there are two <laughs> Salzmans. There are two Salzmans in this story, so I'm going to call her Prefect. Prefect touted herself as an expert in NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming, a form of therapy that uses tactics such as body language mirroring and hypnotherapy to help followers overcome personal obstacles, and it has been largely dismissed as pseudoscience. Nancy said, to help followers overcome. Oh, yeah, people who you're helping, clients. Not patients. I'm followers. sorry. That's the, yeah. Maybe a bit foreshadowing. Can I just clarify, so the, woman, the, the woman walking in off the street, Nancy Salzman, who we'll call Prefect, she's the person who is or was constipated and she's also the person who is the, what would you call it, a specialist or a just says she's a knowledgeable. A practitioner. She said she was a, a practitioner, practitioner of, of NLP and... And hypnotherapy. And she also said she also said she was a psychiatric nurse, but in reality she was a standard nurse for a year. So Nancy said, oh, you're so wonderful. How can I help you to Natalie? So Natalie says, well, you can help me with my boyfriend. He had grandiose ideas and his hours were becoming erratic again. She listened and she said, oh, that's easy. I can help you. He's a sociopath. So she was quite right. They, they met and four days later, she came out with glazed eyes and gave me the, oh, you don't know who he is. And I was like, wow, there goes another one. So effectively, they meet and she's very quickly under the influence of this guy as well. 
the result of their hang on so nancy is nancy met and she's now fallen for him as well correct yep even yep. though he was a sociopath even though that's right her first thought was he's a sociopath four days after meeting him and talking to him she's also now devoted and thinks he's the most amazing smartest man really the damned. you know just this incredible creature the result of their collaboration natalie writes was like putting two volatile chemicals together in a in a mad scientist's lab the resulting compound was both explosive and dangerous it shouldn't come as a surprise that natalie and ranieri broke up in 1999. was that long after he'd met nancy or roughly the same time about a year in 1998 ranieri uh, and salzman sorry prefect start the business that is the center of the most of this case uh, and so about a year after that, Natalie and Ranieri broke up. Okay. So also in 19... Now, this is all, this is gross, but it's part of his shtick, right? So you, I'm building a picture of this man. Also in 1998, Ranieri met Christine Marie Melanikos, a recently divorced mother who had won the title of Miss Michigan 1995. She recalled that Ranieri explained how there was a profound event that would often happen to the women who became intimate with him. Sometimes they would even see a blue light. Now I read somewhere else that he was That's when the he was talking button on the camera. <laughs> Possibly. But actually it was specifically if you swallowed his semen, you would see a blue light. Yeah. Oh nice. Gross. Oh, unlikely. Yeah, gross. Unnecessary. And then she went and, and on not necessary to, to test that theory. I'm I'm happy no. not to see the blue light, thanks. Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm fine with I don't really like blue, it's not my favourite colour. I don't think that would be that enticing. Would it? Is it a colour thing? Or, oh, okay. What do I have to do to see a red light? Yellow? <laughs> well, the red light's the recording like... of the camera. You're right. That's the yeah. red light. <laughs> uh, he's just basically telling everyone he slept with that because he was so incredibly special that they would have a liminal experience. So ultimately, I agreed to be intimate with Keith, and it was just as he said. I even saw a blue light. So we know what she was doing then, don't we? I remember thinking, wow, my brain is really susceptible to the power of suggestion. Mm. Yeah, correct. Really? Yep. Which, which bit, the blue light or the rest of it? I think the blue light. I think he told her she'd see one, so she saw one. And, and, even, and even in that moment, she thought, wow, geez, I'm really susceptible. Just God, God this... forbid she'd even say, actually, no, I don't want to do that. Totally went in hook, line and sinker. He's very engaging. He's very manipulative. I think, you know, this this guy sucks a lot of people in. And then they reciprocate by the sounds of some, it, just so they can see the blue do. light. Some do. Okay. Now, remember Gina Hutchinson. This, yes. is, this is sad. This is a sad bit. A sad bit. This is a 15-year-old. Yeah, so she started. So she started the relationship with him. She dropped out of school. So basically, she was fairly uneducated. As a result of that, she went to work for Consumers Byline before that got shut down. She got away from him and didn't have anything to do with him. But then, in August two thousand and two, uh, she resumed contact with Ranieri and began participating in Nexium and ESP, which is his latest business, which he set up with. You said Nexium last week, and we thought that was to do with. Um, yes, not to be con not to be confused with the uh, antacid pill, uh, right. spelt differently. So this is spelled N X I V M. Why use actual English? Yeah, so Prefect and Ranieri started Nexium together. When they got together and they became, you know, great mates and 
they decided after he'd fa- his other failed businesses that they'd start this self-help business called Nexium. You're filling my head with a lot of facts and I'm struggling to connect the dots. But so Gina, 15-year-old, got back with him just as part of a, a business relationship or was it more than that? No, she, she got back to do the self-help stuff. So she got back in contact with him. I, I'm suggesting he still played a part in her mind. So I she feel was... like self-help is not what he does. In fact, helping himself, maybe, not helping others help themselves. Shitty. Mm-hmm. I know that the Saltzman lady was under his sort of, like, influence, but were they having a relationship as well when they set up the business or were they just business partners? That's an interesting question and I have not been able to get to the bottom of it. Okay. I just assumed uh, so that... They're not, so they're not a couple as such. That's all I need to know. They're not a couple. Had she seen How the blue they could have been, I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean, but they're not they're not suggesting to the world that they are. Yeah. Have you seen the blue light once, maybe? <laughs> I'm gonna assume yes. I yeah, I think she probably has. Ranieri and Prefect founded Executive Success Programs, a self-development company offering a range of techniques aimed at self-improvements. A few years later, the program was rebranded under the name Nexium. Much of Nexium was influenced by the teaching of Anne Rand one of Rainier's favourite authors, and Rainier adopted the title Vanguard from a favourite arcade game in which the destruction of one's enemies increased one's own power. And I will also say that Nexium borrowed a lot of its curriculum and ideas from Scientology. So, now, remember Gina Hutchinson. On October the 11th, 2002... Gina Hutchinson was found dead of a gunshot wound to her head on the grounds of the Kama Triyana Dharma Chakra Buddhist Monastery in Woodstock, an apparent suicide. There's a really good uh, documentary by the Investigation Discovery Channel called The Lost Woman of Nexium, and there's a lot of speculation as to whether it was suicide. She killed herself with a 20-gauge shotgun, which is really unusual. The Did police she have did... arms as well so that she could... Yeah, yeah I'm about to, about to get to that. Sorry. The police didn't test for gunshot residue on her body, which would have confirmed that she'd shot herself. And in a test as to whether this is even possible, the way she was positioned was the gun was under her jacket and pointing up uh, to, I guess, her face. So she must, like, the idea is she put her face forward. She's lying on the ground. She's got the gun with the trigger right down towards her pelvis. She must have lifted her head and, you know, shot herself in the head. So the gun is, the gun's under her jacket. And the woman who they tested this with couldn't even replicate that that couldn't happen because her arms weren't long enough to your point earlier paul so am i correct in assuming then or or reading into this that they had a test that they could do that would prove that she didn't do it but they opted not to Mm. you are the police case of mediocrity this is the defective detective, yes, but this actually is a defective detective because that other guy turned out to be okay. Yeah, they they should have tested her hands for gunshot residue, which would have confirmed it, but they took one look at it and they said, that's a suicide, open, shut case, job done. Even though her family were like, this this doesn't look right, this isn't right. Yep. Now, at it, the it's time... It's a bit like, like, you know, when you're sending an email and you notice a spelling mistake just before you hit send and you go, oh, fuck it, I'll just send it anyway. Like, you know, that, that's the kind of... If I do if I do my job and I make little mistakes like that, that, there's a real, you know, no one's really... Some people are offended by my spelling mistake. But I just feel like if you're in that job and you've got a test you can perform that will give you something definitive... Why wouldn't you do, do it? it? Correct, yeah. 
so Ranieri lived one and a half hours away from Gina when she died. By the way, there's no evidence that he or any of the girls were involved, but it is pretty suspicious. Going on, in 2002, Ranieri and Prefect succeeded in recruiting members of the influential Bronfman family, which are heirs to the multi-billion dollar Seagram's fortune. If you don't know Seagram's, I didn't. They make Shivers Regal amongst lots of I know of them things. and I know the Bronfman's. Is it a New oh. York family? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I so, they make some other alcohol, I think. Oh, I'm sure they make a ton of stuff, but that was the one that I just I saw it and thought, oh, Shivers Regal, okay. Initially, Sarah Bronfman got involved and did some programs, and then her sister Claire followed. They didn't, so they were really high. Um, when they did some programs, they were doing this self-help stuff. This is how you recruit people into this. You, you do a module. I'll explain it in a minute, but you do a module and you get sucked into it. And you keep doing it, and keep doing it, and keep doing. So then her, her sister Claire Bronfman joined, and the reason that's really important is the two of them obviously had shed tons of cash. And they become kind of the people who bankroll some of this activity as well because they're so into it and they're just, you know, really devoted to it, particularly Claire. And they're really high-profile um, recruits. And what Prefect and Ranieri really wanted was really visible people, really high-profile. It kind of um, got more people in, you know. So, and, and, and a lot of le- completely legitimized them. Yeah, yeah. I'm a bit now like Tom as a Scientologist. Similar, similar. I don't know if that has worked as well as this did, but we'll see. Ever I since I the couch moment with Oprah, it's probably been less effective. Mm. Yeah, I've done a little bit of reading on Scientology because of the connections to how this program works and theirs, and there's a lot of parallels here. In in November of 2002, Kristen Marie Snyder paid seven thousand dollars to enrol in a 16-day personal development course conducted in Anchorage, Alaska. And it was being conducted by Nancy Salzman, otherwise known as Prefect. The following January, Snyder travelled to visit Ranieri and other leaders in New York. Snyder's mother recalled that her daughter had come to believe she was responsible for the Columbia shuttle disaster and thought Keith was incredible. Snyder, accompanied by her partner Heidi Clifford, signed up for a 16-day session in Anchorage. During the seminar... Was there any evidences or any link as to why she thought she was responsible for that? No. This this leads up. That, that, I think that's important because it's uh, shining a bit of a light on where she is mentally at this time. A bit of a whacked up. Uh, she wasn't originally. I can't remember what her career was. I did know she's in her thirties. She's a really happy, successful young woman. Nothing to indicate that she had any kind of underlying mental health issues before she got involved in Nexium. During the seminar, Snyder shouted out several times that Ranieri had impregnated her. Yes, she's a lesbian and was behaving erratically. Yes, her, she went with her partner, Heidi Clifford. She's a lesbian, but she's, she's, she's telling everyone in the seminar that she is carrying Ranieri's baby. She was removed from the course by the trainers. On February the 6th, 2003, Snyder was last seen leaving the Nexium seminar with the trainers. So she was removed, not with her partner, with the trainers. Now, if you are having some kind of psychotic break, would you expect to be removed from something and your partner not taken with you? Because you're probably got to go to a hospital or something like that. Did she know? She was in the same seminar. <sighs> She's the one who told people 17 years later what she was yelling. Because the Nexium people never said what she was yelling out. They just said she was behaving erratically and shouting out. 17 years later, 
Heidi admitted that she was shouting out several times that he'd impregnated her. Why did wow. she wait 17 years? We'll get to that, I'm sure. I'll get to that, uh, yeah. On February the 8th, her vehicle was found 120 miles away at Seaward, Alaska. Police recovered a note left on the passenger side of the car that read as follows. I attended a course called Executive Success Programs based out of Anchorage and Albany. I was brainwashed and my emotional centre of the brain was killed, turned off. I still have feeling in my external skin, but my internal organs are rotting. I'm sorry, life. I didn't know I was already dead. May we persist into the future. Oh, and in God. A, on a separate, separate page, no need to search for my body. Okay. What? Yeah, you had some questions. <laughs> 17 years later. Why 17 years later? Heidi at the time, so this was in 2002. Yep. And Heidi was very concerned that if she said anything... A, the Nexium people would go for her, but also that the police would just arrest her thinking it was something to do with her. So she said her car quiet, but she's just staged them. Okay. Sorry. Paul? When you say go for her, do you mean kill her? The Nexium people? There's, there's no evidence that the Nexium people ever had anyone killed or tried to kill anyone, but they certainly did hack people's emails and try to discredit them and try to ruin them in other ways. Yes. They're a frightening organisation. And even... When she's giving this uh, account 17 years later, she says at the beginning, and this is in the Lost Women of Nexium, that in investigation discovery thing, she says, even up to a couple of days ago, I was really reticent about speaking and being seen or saying anything. So, you know, and she'd been out of Nexium for a very long time, but she's still nervous about the power they have or, or you know, the influence they have. Schmitty, do you, can you give me an idea? Do you know at that point, so when they were in, what was it, Anchorage, Alaska, what what sort of numbers are you talking about? Were they very popular? I mean, was it were there twenty people? Were there a thousand people? How many people were sort of in you know the Nexium? Uh, I don't know. Were, were using the services? Was it incredibly popular at that point, or was it still taking off? By two thousand and two, it was pretty popular. I think at that point they had in that seminar there would have been maybe fifty people. Um, okay, remember it was so seven thousand dollars, seven grand in well, two thousand and two. Okay. Like it's a hell so of a lot of money. Still, quite high uh, you've got a it's not a mass thing it's you sort of pay for the privilege of being part of it yeah yeah okay yeah got it now i haven't written these notes so i'm just going to go off my memory but her body was never found and the place where she was lost her body was lost a kayak was stolen and or a kayak disappears and the the theory that the police and people, the investigators at the time have, was that she took a kayak and she was a very proficient kayaker. She took a kayak and went out into the sound and drowned herself. But the kayak was never found and these kayaks are actually designed to float and pop up. And the search and rescue people at that point in time had had, I think it was something like 16 people had drowned in that area. It's a very vast area. There were 16 people who had drowned and they had found 100% of those bodies. Hers was the only body never found. I think drowning yourself is one of the hardest ways to die unless you weigh yourself down or something because your body's instinct just kicks in and you right, yeah. override that. I'm not an expert in it, but I, um, I feel like that's the case. It's like you can't hold your breath until you die because yeah. you'll breathe regardless. So Kristen Snyder's body was never found. And if you're wondering, was she actually pregnant? Claire Bronfman at some point, said confirmed to someone else that she believed that she was and if you're wondering how that happens because obviously she's gay and she was in a happy gay relationship another uh, psychological expert was talking about how 
Ranieri basically would have seen that as a challenge. So he he didn't particularly like homosexuality and he didn't he saw he saw all women as a challenge, frankly. And if you were a lesbian, he saw it as a particular challenge to turn you because this woman wasn't physically his type at all. He likes them dark eyed, dark haired really skinny but there's a suggestion that he probably did engage in a sexual relationship with her or manipulate her to have a sexual relationship with him because he was basically wanting to you know turn her prove that he's amazing yeah, powerful, power whatever yeah. control oh, control well, and power she's only a lesbian because she hasn't had a real man is that <laughs> yes something like that oh, yeah. so what was nexium and esp i hear you ask what was Nexium and ESP? So this is how Nexium in 2003 described itself on its website. Human evolution has clearly demonstrated tendencies that vacillate between awe-inspiring rises and cataclysmic falls. As time has passed, our capacity to excel in either extreme has increased, even on the smallest of levels. Each rise... Each act of human excellence raises mankind to new heights. Each fall, each act of destruction is a mindless regression. While many have sensed a need to break away from the primitive patterning that keeps us from a path of continuous progression, few have thought it possible. Nexium is a turning point, a remarkable development in scientific and psychodynamic understanding, education and technology that can facilitate this transition so the pattern of humanity's rises and falls can actually be broken and transformed. We find ourselves on this earth with the resources, intellect and creativity that can generate abundance for everyone or destroy all that we have created. Nexium represents the change humanity needs in order to alter the course of history. Nexium is a new ethical understanding that allows us to build an internal civilization and have it manifest in the external world. It allows us to explore our most fundamental nature and to begin to redirect our power of creation, a power that we all possess in a very human sense. It is a place where humanity can rise to its noble possibility. The Nexium technology is imparted through Executive Success Programs Incorporated, programs that provide the philosophical and practical foundation necessary to acquire and build the skills for success. Got it? What a of old shit. <laughs> Who would read that and think, oh, that looks like it sounds like it's for me? Oh, so many and words. Word of mouth was its probably biggest source of um new delegates because i mean who would read that who would get to the end of it let alone make any sense of it oh come on it sounds great being better transforming humanity creating abundance for all and all for the cheap introductory price of five thousand dollars for a five-day module (laughs) how would you come across this would you be searching for self-help and it would come up is that how it would have been all right. I mean, no, no, you, you, got it right. you got it right when you said word of mouth. So in reality, yeah, Nexium, word of mouth. it was a multi-level marketing company with yeah. a series of sub-brands. They're selling self-help programs based on curriculum dictated by Ranieri. He'd built a philosophy cobbling together influences from Scientology and Rand and others to utilize hypnotherapy, neuro-linguistic programming and other psychological techniques to expose and manipulate the vulnerabilities of the clients. Can I say, I'm getting really stuck on certain words that you're using. Well, the first one was uh, vacillate, and I, I kind of lost the next, I don't know, three sentences because I was p- pondering that one. But when you've just said 
cobbling. It reminded me of something where if you break someone's ankles, I think that's called cobbling. Hobbling. That's hobbling. Is it? Ho oh. With an H. With an H. Hobbling. Ah, okay. But may, may, keep that in mind for later. <laughs> what, what if you hobble someone with um, a cob of corn? Would that be called cobbling? <laughs> yeah. Why not? We'll, we'll come up with that. That's a new one. It's, Sorry, that, that's very much And then I lose all detail because I'm pondering hobbling versus cobbling and yeah now all yeah. i've got in my mind is that scene from misery when she hobbles him that's exactly what i was thinking yes uh, uh. i'm already freaked out enough by this story maybe that's why they're called cobblestones because if you walk on them in high heels you break you your do. ankles you definitely do yes <laughs> Okay, the underlying methodology was to break down people's existing ethical, moral and societal beliefs and reprogram them to believe whatever Ranieri wanted them to. Who doesn't love a good reprogramming? Oh. I know. I mean, cause, well, this is very topical because I'm sure you have seen on Facebook the anti-vax propaganda, um, the and originally it's all a hoax, do your own research, don't be a sheeple, don't listen to anything that science is telling you, we have to reject all of these things and we have to work it out for ourselves. And he actually created this idea of rational inquiry, which was just his terminology for his nonsense. But he, he, that was his technology, was this rational inquiry. And you know, I mean, if you actually just think about the language of rational inquiry, there's no rationality going into any of this inquiry. Sorry, Paul, go on. <laughs> I, I, it makes I me very angry. That, so questioning is good, and, and you should always do that. But yes. Um, so for me, the whole anti-vax thing is about questioning facts that are that are known facts, not necessarily questioning. Well, you know, what about this little bit, or what about that little bit? But just the whole thing doesn't work, or I'm anti the whole thing, and. Yeah, so it's probably that irrational inquiry rather than... Yes, uh, yes, absolutely. So you'd go to a five-day program. This is how it starts, right? You'd be told no one's a victim. Everyone is responsible for their own problems and failures. But if you adopt the ways of ESP, you can transform your life and the world to be better. And you're not just told this once. You're told it over and over again in subtle and very manipulative ways. At the end of the initial program, you'd participate in something called an EM, or an exploration of meaning. That's an AOM. <laughs> oh, that's what you refer to it in your house anyway. Oh, <laughs> During an AM, a member and a high-ranking Nexium teacher would sit in chairs facing each other while a group of other members watched. The member would explain their, the area of their life they were having trouble in, like feeling anxious about a job interview. And the teacher would ask questions to see if the anxiety was rooted in a specific memory or pattern in their past. A Nexium member shared their vulnerable and traumatic past in front of a crowd. When Ranieri or other high-ranking members running an EM deemed the member had a breakthrough, the audience all clapped and cheered in celebration. According to Kelly Scott, who's a psychotherapist, this setup, this setup intentionally creates positive reinforcement, so members want to share even more vulnerable information. The group is providing influence and pressure on the person to expose themselves. They're getting positive reinforcement when they do. People are cheering, people are smiling, people are reinforcing it. Vulnerability can lead to helpful mental and emotional breakthroughs when expressed in a safe space. 
but Ranieri's methods removed that safe space under the guise of accountability. Nexium taught members that if they shared the most fragile parts of themselves with an audience, everyone in that audience could make sure they wouldn't fall back on their previous negative ways of thinking and acting. In reality, this framework only turned vulnerability into a commodity, or a highly valued currency, Scott said. I think there's a way that group absolutely fetishizes vulnerability. Actually, the more accurate way of saying this is they fetishize exploitation, adding that the group mentally allowed more and more people to buy into that system. Although Ranieri used psychology-backed methods, he appeared to weaponize them to gaslight members into ignoring their intuitions and bending to his every request. The fact that Ranieri's method has some elements of very valid theory, that makes it so dangerous because it's something that feels reasonable on the surface, Scott says. And in point of fact... Many of the people who went through this program say the same thing. They, they were like, this isn't hokum. This is, this is real psychology. I can see it working. I've had a breakthrough. The thing I was struggling with, you know, whether it's a, I don't know, anxiety when I'm stuck in a traffic jam or not being good at an audition or being scared at an audition, they go back and they work out that moment in their lives where there's a memory that's actually triggering that behaviour and that's their breakthrough. And what happens when you've come through the breakthrough? You feel amazing. And then you're told to sign up to the next module and so on and so forth. And trust me, there are a lot of modules and a lot of intensives and a lot of classes. And a lot of dollars. Correct. So... Nexium operated for nearly 20 years with up to 16,000 people participating in the programs. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. And many went to get to numbers like that. Yep. And many went into significant debt because it was like a drug, you know, like you, you kept having these things. The community was around you. You know, all these people going through this amazing stuff. You're all doing something amazing for the world. You got more and more sucked into it. You put all your money into it. You gave up your house etc etc so not only for those paying for the classes but the staff coaching once you were considered to be of the right standard you move up the ranks to be a coach so again the pyramid isn't just in kind of i've started and then i have to recruit other people he made them wear a white sash they were tiered they had this i think it's called the stripe something like the stripe levels or something you wore a sash and at the basic level you wore a white sash right and then i think it was yellow and green and other colors And you would get stripes on your sash as you progressed up the ranks of that level. A little bit like Jim. Like Taekwondo. (laughs) Correct. See, we we get where he gets his influences from. But instead of giving someone a good roundhouse kick, the way to progress in this was to recruit X number of new people, attend X number of more classes, and let go of or prove that you had changed your way of thinking that then fit in with uh, what ESP was teaching. And they've got they a whole bunch of... A good roundhouse kick, wouldn't they? <laughs> they would have, yeah. Um, or a big chop, Austin Power style. Jab cross uppercut, you know, that, that would have done it for them. Um, but you unfortunately, what ESP stands for? Was that the executive... Success programs, yeah. Success programs. Extrasensory powers. That's a better, better meaning for it. Yeah, so, so, but people really, like, they wanted to get to the next stripe. They, you know, like, you, they were built into this whole program of, you were being programmed to want to keep going, keep going, keep going. And I suppose at the end you were supposed to reach some kind of, I don't know, enlightenment or something. But in reality, you're just chip, chip, chipping away, putting your money in, putting your time in, not getting paid for it. Keep going, keep going, keep going. 
Yeah, there's there's one victim who talks about how she was in there for five years and she racked up $50,000 of debt. Yep. So Ranieri, just on the whole sash thing, wore a white sash, which is the lowest level because he was always learning. Oh. Asshole. Of the yeah. people, for the people, yes. What an asshole. So in the case of India Oxenberg, who was the daughter of Catherine Oxenberg from Dynasty, she unfortunately oh. got sucked into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And The Seduced is all about her story. She got really sucked into it and she devoted did six years. Did you just introduce a character from an 80s TV show? <laughs> yeah, who, who plays a really massive part in this. Catherine uh, Oxenberg becomes a really significant player for really good reasons. Hang so on. Was, was Catherine Oxenberg an actor in Dynasty or a character in Dynasty? No, she's an actress. She's an actress. Feel like we use gender non-specific terms now, so it's actor. <laughs> <laughs> so the mum who was the actor slash was her in Dynasty and her daughter was Catherine, did you say? India. India. India, of course, yes. Thank you, India. Thank you, Tara. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Alanis Morissette. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So India Oxenberg gets involved in the 2000 and something, like 2010, so later than what I was talking about before. 2010? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, and she devotes, she was 19 when she got involved in it and she devote, devotes six years of her life. She doesn't go to college. She just keeps doing the teaching. She keeps doing the classes. She becomes a coach. She gets further and further... She moves, she, her story progresses in a sec. We'll get there. Okay. But she certainly did spend all of her grandfather's inheritance on Nexium. Do you know who her grandparents were? All of her inheritance from her grandfather? Or did yeah. her grandfather inherit? No, no. All, I don't know if it's all, her paternal or maternal side, but her mum's parents, so Catherine Oxenberg was the daughter of... of her Royal Highness, the Princess of Yugoslavia. That's Correct. right. Yes, yep. yes. How do you um, know this? I told you I went deep into this story. Yeah, but even Carla. Um, oh, I told you, Carla knows that's everything. My thing. Oh, that's true. You're. Um, what was that? Oh, I don't flex that very often. What was that? Yeah, pop culture coach or yeah, something. Pop, pop culture. Pop, pop culture. Correct. Yeah, I just, shit if, about there's it. No, if there's no use for the knowledge, then I've got it. I feel like. Um, I'm madly treading water trying to keep up with the story while you two are just going, oh, yeah, this all makes perfect sense. <laughs> it's a 20-year saga, so I appreciate it can be difficult to follow. And I... So let me just um, pour myself another glass because that will really help me understand the story. Allow me. Thanks, One thing that I'm interested in, Caroline, I think that we're going to get to all of that, all of this is at the moment you're sort of setting this scene whereby we're we're looking at a... I don't know, a pyramid scheme, let's call it. And people seem to be, you know, quite willingly going along and paying for what I would call just self-help. That's why they think they're going there. That's why they're prepared to pay this, these big, big amounts of money mm. because there's something that's bothering them in their life and that's, it's just, I'm not saying that it's black and white, but that's their, this is, their drive. This is an answer. This is a thing right. that because they've had this really positive experience in these first couple of modules and they've done these EMs and they've had these breakthroughs, they think this actually works. And I'm, st I'm going to stay with this because I can see that it's working for me. I can see it's really good. That's and that's everyone there, everyone there is so kind. Everyone there is so nice. Yeah. And if you see the promotional videos or you see any of these um, documentaries, 
There's like hundreds of people. He has this big one once a year. By the way, he had chapters all over the place. So I've tried to find out how many. So their headquarters is in New York, but they're all over America. And I believe they even had an office in London. Okay, because I was going to ask that question. So there is like a headquarters. There was a central building that they would go to. Yep. Not dislike the Church of Scientology, I guess, which is yeah, not like yeah. a church. But, I, I mean, I used to work at an office that was opposite the one in Sydney. Well, the Church of Scientology is a church, according to itself. And the fact that it doesn't pay tax, according to Ron L. It's, a, it's as credible yes. as any other church. <laughs> God rest his soul. In Nexium, Ranieri, now remember he called himself Vanguard. So he set himself up as the authority from day one. He was talked about by the, all the other members like he was a celebrity and most members didn't even get to see him in person until they'd been in the organisation for some time. Did anyone try to get him out of here if he was a celebrity? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. If only. Those who finally did get access to Ranieri often took 3am walks with him during which he would randomly command them to do simple acts like sprint to a tree or lick water from a street puddle. These small acts served to establish Ranieri as an unquestionable authority member and laid the groundwork for ever-increasing servitude. It also served as a test to weed out anyone resistant to his obedience techniques, ensuring every woman who eventually joined one of the sub-brands was unlikely to refuse his sexual demands. But they so, got the benefit of seeing the blue light. Blue light. Right? Oh, yes, and I'm sure that's the benefit they all really wanted. Uh, look, I've got, I've got to be really open and clear on this. We can laugh about that, but the vast majority of these women thought they were consenting to a sexual relationship with a man who allegedly wasn't having sex at all. He was a renunciate. So each of them thought they were somehow the special one. He kept all of these secret. And at the same time, he was probably sleeping with at least 10 to 15 women at the same time. They were not allowed to sleep with anyone else. They were only allowed to be with him. And they didn't know at this time about each other. I don't know how he had the time. I, I, I honestly don't know how the man found the time. But anyway. I often think that. I, I, I said that in my own life. I don't know how people can be bothered. But I mean, wow. <laughs> yes, what was Stuart's um, question? Stuart said, was he good looking? No, not particularly. He wasn't bad looking. It's just ordinary. Yeah, yeah right. and, and so when, before when I kind of scoffed at the whole seeing the blue light, that wasn't a reflection on the women who think they might see the blue light. It's just like, what a flog. Yeah. Put your penis back in your pants and yeah. go and get a job somewhere. I know, I know what you mean, but I just, uh, there are some perpetrators in this case, but there are a lot of people who are victims of it, that's all. In 2003, Nexium hits a road bump. Forbes magazine published a cover story with an article written by Michael Friedman entitled The Cult of Personality, which included a quote from Edgar Bronfman, the father of Sarah and Claire, where he denounced the company as a cult. Hmm. No, it shocked me. Yeah. Vanity Fair reported on the cover story's impact within the group. People at Nexium were stunned. Expecting a positive story, the top ranks had spoken to Forbes, including Ranieri, Salzman and Sarah Bronfman. What upset them above all were Edgar Bronfman's remarks. According to Vanity Fair, the Forbes article was a turning point in Ranieri's relationship with Edgar Bronfman. That, says one woman, was when Edgar became Nexium's enemy. Now, Edgar did do one of these modules. He So the, the daughter said, Dad, Dad, you know, you should really do this course. It's really good. And he did one. And then he came out and said, that's a cult. And he was right. Thanks to his daughter's money, 
They could hire the best lawyers and PR agencies and basically buy themselves out of these claims, refuting that it was a cult entirely. It's just self-help. What are you people on about? I feel like in, in my world, gastric reflux is the enemy of Nexium. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. All right. Now, we are at page eight. So I'm going to open a bottle of alcoholic booze. <laughs> I'm going to have a wet and find another one. Okay. So as a reward to myself, having got this far, here's the... Uh, Sparkling Gewürztraminer. Happy New Year! Yeah. What All right. What is that from, Schmitty? Showboat. Showboat. Did you pick it right? Well, I know I say it because it's of you, but I don't actually. I can't recall what the source was. But when I say Happy New Year, I know it's your yeah. voice and I know it's from a musical, but I can't recall which one. Yeah. Showboat. All right. So. Um, we're just going to um, pop the cork on a little Staten Colleen Shiraz from Rutherglen. Go, so. go, right go right ahead. Bear with us. Oh, no, you're all right. Now, as I said you're earlier, there's a, lot, there's a lot more that I could have talked about in terms of Nexium itself, its programs, the way it ran, but we only have a certain amount of time, so I tried to keep this to... A, I mean, I haven't even talked about half the victims. I've just talked about a few cases. Um because, yeah, it's pretty prolific. Okay, so have you popped yet? Yeah, we've popped our cork. Okay, cool. Not for every guy we meet. Did you see a blue light? Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it's that. Oh. 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 Too far? Too far. Oh. Can you edit some, that bit out? Some people don't even let it get that far. And by some people, I mean me. <laughs> anyway. Back to the sub-brands. So, you know, I talked earlier about branding and obviously Nexium was the, I guess, the parent brand of the organisation. So they, it was a bit of, it was, had a bit of a, it was a bit of a house of brands, Nexium. Oh, it's a much better than a branded house. Is it like <laughs> the LVMH, like Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy, like? <laughs> yes. Parent company. Okay. Yes, right. yes. Okay. So we've got a house of brands happening. So, from a bustle.com, oh, whoops. <laughs> one sip, one sip of alcohol. And I'm, now I'm blushing. Okay, sorry. God, you didn't start drinking earlier. Oh, my Lord. From a bustle.com article. According to the New York Times, Ranieri started Jeunesse in 2006 and it, tar it was targeted towards the women of Nexium. Jeunesse was a women's movement that facilitates an ongoing exploration of what it means to be a woman, whatever that means. In Seduced, we see footage of Prefect explaining with a retrospectively frenetic cheeriness, which is when you see her, she's always like, oh, everything's amazing. And oh, yeah, it's like, oh, anyway, that she's explaining that Jeunesse, and you'll enjoy this, was the first program for women's empowerment created by a man. Oh, sounds like Tony Abbott. I had the same thought, Minister for Women. What an asshole! Speaking of narcissistic sociopaths, anyway, but he was so... <laughs> As we were. <laughs> yes, 
But as he, he was so sensitive that he could really help women, she says. One of Janessa's most high-profile members was Smallville actress Alison Mack, who raved about the subgroup in a 2013 YouTube video. Working for Janessa is the most gratifying thing I've ever done, she said. It's the most challenging because it consists of working with a group of people who are interdependent. No one is ever punished or told that they're wrong or they're bad. Well, it seems as if the opposite is true. According to witness oh. testimony, yep. According to witness testimony and footage of the workshops, of which I've seen a little bit of, Jeunesse members were taught women are irresponsible if not narcissistic, self-absorbed, and inclined to cast themselves as the victim. Sorry, was that saying that women are self-absorbed? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, what we're starting to see here in the curriculum is that women are the enemy. This is what we're starting to see here is this this underlying deep misogyny that he's building in and he's effectively telling everyone, all the women, that they deserve what's coming to them. Do we know the split in terms of the male-female membership? Because there seems to be lots of women who are happy to be told that they're, yeah, they're, they're the problem. Mm. So I'm just wondering if there's like a skew to, I mean, it sounds like kind of... Yes. I would say it was definitely skewed to women, but there are men involved. And one of the sub-brands is a male group, which I'll get onto in a sec. Um, I just I just wish at some point those two lesbians would stand up and nut-punch him and ruin the whole thing. Grow some balls. Well, one, of, know, them could, one of them could be dead and the other one's yeah. terrified. But, well, yeah. There is that. Yeah, but, you know, I just, there there's nothing that. like a good lesbian <laughs> uprising that would just change the world. should be more of it. <laughs> yeah okay i mean i don't disagree i just think it's <laughs> a funny concept so the footage of the work... this whole funny concept right what what the world needs now is a lesbian uprising <laughs> yeah yeah anyway the footage Sorry. of the workshop shows that they were actually like perverse feminist consciousness raising seminars where women were encouraged to talk about their pain under patriarchy only to be humiliated and told that men had it worse. During sessions, they're called whiny and spoiled princesses. One woman even blames herself for feeling disempowered by men in her company. Keith would say that women indulge their emotions to get attention. She feels disempowered. And it's her what fault. It's her own it's her fault, fault that she was disempowered by men in her yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's my fault that men disempower me. It's yeah, not theirs. It's not my no. problem. No, it is my problem. Yeah. It's my fault. Something I have to work on. Keith I'm was, the problem here. Yes, I am. Pretty much that I'm the problem here could have been their their tagline. <laughs> I like it. It's their tag. I'm the problem here. Nixium, changing the world. You're a fuckwit. We'll reinforce that. Actually, you're not a fuckwit until you start coming to our classes and then we'll reinforce that. Yeah. Yeah, correct. We've done the research. Don't worry. You're the problem. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We've all taken a vote. You're the problem. Mm -hmm. In making distinctions between men and women, Keith made women feel bad about their emotions and, you know, invoked the whole women are crazy concept. And that was a quote by Sarah Edmondson, who I'll talk about in a little bit. Being part of the group was also expensive. There were 11 eight-day workshops, which reportedly cost Jeunesse members five grand each. I'd just so like that... us to go on that crazy thing and 
and explore that a little bit more. Is there any more um, chatter around that? Not really. I think it was just that he he exploited the idea that women were crazy and that women created all of their own problems. And well, I'm about to talk about the society of protectors, which is the flip side for men. And I think you'll pick up on similar themes expressed in a different way. Expressed yeah, in yeah. a different way, yeah. So women who have been groomed since they were 13 and um, been statutory raped since they're 15 probably are crazy with, with very good reason. And in fact, not even that might appear crazy, but with very good reason. Absolutely. Um, I will say that that's a, that's a very small group of people. So most of the women in Jeunesse were not having sex with Rainier. Rainieri, sorry, I keep calling him Rainier. You know, Prince of Monaco. I'm sorry. Sorry. Monaco. Sorry, Monaco. you <laughs> <laughs> remembering that, Clarkie. Thank you. Stuck. I think what was the question? You said you weren't going to be slurring by the end of this. And you've had I'm not like slurring. Three I'm, I'm not slurring. You've, you've asked me to go off my notes. So I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah. What I was saying is that the, the number of sort of uh, underage girls who are uh, groomed and raped by him is a very small number. The number of women in Jeunesse, though, was a much larger number, and they thought they were in some kind of women's empowerment group. They didn't actually see themselves as being part of anything other than that. And a lot of them, like the Oxenbergs, were high-profile people. A lot of them are very wealthy. And some of them expressed that the ideals of this women's empowerment group and even some of the stuff about servitude and and it's all being your fault and you're the victim kind of resonated for them because some of them felt like they'd never worked for anything in their lives. You know, they were heiresses. They had a, a ton of money. They had they came from a position of privilege that was gifted to them by the right of their birth. And so this felt really kind of edgy and different because this was someone challenging that and saying, you know, step up and stop being a princess and, you know, and for whatever reason, and I'm not saying it's right, but that, that was part of what made it attractive to them. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? So, I could imagine you, it would resonate with them, sure. I've, mm. I've got a little bit of, um, there's a couple of people I've got in mind and I won't mention them because, you know, that might get us in trouble, but I, I feel like it's that whole thing of if you're a woman who makes it in a man's world, then you're proof that the man's world works. Is that mm. right? Or am I off track a little bit? Yeah, I don't think that the women in his end game wasn't for women to make it in a man's world. His end game was for women to be instruments of his coercion. So to serve him. To serve yeah, him and his purposes. And to the point where Paul he allegedly told Alison Mack at one point that he wanted to I'm sort of jumping ahead here, but he wanted to have this sort of little army of women who were so controlled and he wanted to seed some of those in very powerful positions so for instance the senate or government Sounds because like they'd tony be under abbott. his control it sounds like oh. who sorry tony abbott <laughs> oh well, I, don't, I don't mind um equality as long as they agree with me and do what i say then you mm. know they're fine mm. to have around Oh, well, I think your point before about a woman who's made it in a man's world, and they, they, I think they are different things, yeah. I don't, yeah. No, but, but I think that that's to me like it, it just sounds like there's a little bit of that whole thing that, of course, I want you around as long as you do what I say. I don't want you around as an equal or I don't want you around to, to challenge me. 
I want you as proof that women are very welcome in this society as long as they um, do the toe right the thing. Line, toe the line and do as they're told. Yep. Yeah, because all of my best friends who are women do what I say. That's what I love about them. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So the male version of this was the Society of Protectors, otherwise known as SOP. Justice Nexium had a subgroup for women and had one for men. According to Rolling Stone... Acronyms. I want to punch someone for the acronyms. I don't like the branding philosophy at all. I mean, even Jeunesse was just a made-up nonsense. Nexium's made up. I mean, this guy hasn't given any thought to his branding. According to Rolling Stone, the Society of Protectors was founded in 2011. Former member Mark Vincente testified that the group's intention was to build character and turn its members from little boys into men. The SOP members had to provide collateral, that's important, collateral's a big deal here, to belong to the group, which usually included sums of money as high as $1,500. Vicente claimed that if members did what they were supposed to do, they got the money back. If not, they didn't. SOP members also participated in readiness drills to keep them on alert in case they were ever needed in an emergency. Like if a member went missing. Like at work, we have a, um, a fire drill and everyone has to evacuate. Is that a similar kind of thing? Yeah. We're right, being so, raided. Let's be ready. Yes. Yeah, imagine, imagine your chapter leader in SOP sends you a text message at 10 o'clock at night and says, ready? And you have to reply within 60 seconds to say that you're ready. You're on like a group chat thing. If you don't, you're punished. And then you're told to do something, like you know, run an errand or do something. And if you don't do that in the allotted time, you're punished as well. So that's what this sort of readiness thing was. And I've seen and so footage. And so want to be a part of that again? Because this was all about this idea about leave no man behind. Like it was all, we're ready for something. They didn't really know what they were ready for, but they were ready for something. And it's, it's interesting because Ranieri himself is on foot. I've seen footage of him saying, no one else does this except the military. Now, why do you need to practice this? Yeah. When you say no man, it just takes me back to... Um, Lord of the Rings, Revenge of the King, where the Dark King, the the one who's riding, one of the Nazgul says, no man can kill me. And she pulls off her helmet and says, I am no man, and stabs him in the stabs face. Him in the and console. That's right. Good yeah. honour. Yes. Pieces. Yes. yes. I'm a fan of no man in that context. Not in the fan, not a fan of no man as in, you know, toughen up son. Princess. Yep, yep, yep. Well, not princess, because that would be then... Gender Prince. confusing. Point is, he is gender confusing. That, that This is the message that he is doing all the time. He is, he is building a misogynistic view for men and women. Tell me someone gets nut punched by the end of this. Okay, don't worry, justice happens, but let me get on to it. He was also a big fan of another infamous psychological experiment, the Stanford Prison Study. In this study, young, mentally healthy men were randomly assigned to serve as prisoners or guard in a mock prison construct in the basement of Stanford University. Can you slow down a little bit? Mentally healthy men serviced prison guards, did you say? No, served as prison guards. Oh, oh, thank <laughs> fuck. That was getting way too crazy really quickly. Got blood pressure. 
Sorry, yes, I, I was I was trying to speed it up a bit, sorry. Within just a few days, both groups appeared to have lost themselves in their assigned roles. The guards acted sadistic, forcing prisoners to endure humiliating or physically gruelling punishments like sit-ups or brushing the toilet with their bare hands in order to strip prisoners of their identity and encourage obedience. A sit-up's humiliating? If we're sitting on the couch eating fat snacks and drinking too much and someone says... Two, three sit-ups. I reckon that would be that is humiliating. humiliating. I would agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I just wondered if that's where they were going. Like they, you know. If you did the wrong thing, drop and give me fifty. You know, and then, and the whole group's watching you. And if you can't get to fifty, then they're all going to go. You're a whatever. You're no good. I'm trying. What if you just say I'm not even going to dropping because I'm not ever going to get to fifty? <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> be in this group. I would. I I'd know. Have to, yeah, yeah. You are not target market, right? <laughs> Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Would not pay $5,000 to be a ESPM or whatever it was. Correct. You, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. In this whole experiment, the Stanford experiment, things fell apart so quickly that the planned two-week study had to be cancelled after six, just six days because people divul uh, sort of went into these roles so much so that it became dangerous and they said, we're well, cancelling. Well, they became the freak. Yeah, they're completely. Yes, they became the freak and the prisoners... Yep lost sense of themselves as individuals with rights and just sort of got debased. Yeah, so, but he loved this. Can we just say, listeners, if you don't know, get onto Wentworth. That's where the freak <laughs> is. Oh. Reckon gold. And Wentworth is welcome to sponsor us at any time. Ranieri relied heavily on this study's procedures for a six-day intensive course with SOP, the Society of Protectors. In the course, men essentially served as prison guards and women served as prisoners. His guise for this course was that women needed to understand the suffering men went through in order to have empathy for them. Hang on, is it the suffering that men went through in having to live in a world with women or is it some other kind of suffering? It's definitely women's fault. Of the course. suffering no, that men have to go that, through, and it's generally women's fault, yes. Yeah, no, I understand that, but is that what they're trying to teach? That, God, it's so hard being in a man's world with women in it. Like, fuck. It's like being in a dog's home and there's a cat, you know. Like, one of these kids is not like the other. <laughs> the men humiliated the women by criticising their appearance or weight, Forcing them to hold painful planks, you know, like, I mean, not planks of wood, you know, do planking. Or planks of nails. That oh, were like... Like, no, no, no. Yeah. Do, you know, like physical planks for minutes on end and using other techniques to strip them of their identity and agency. The more these women were treated as objects, the less they saw themselves as people. And in one of these, Claire Bronfman, I spoke about earlier, the heiress of Seagram's, she was made to wear a jockstrap in one of these intensives to humiliate her and punish her for talking back. And remember, she's an heiress to like millions and millions and millions of dollars. So this yeah, is not how is, she's used to being treated. But she's also subscribed to I'm an idiot.com or whatever this freaking thing is. I, like, I, I, don't, I don't condone her punishment, but God, what? Oh, no, no. She was, she's a, she loved it. She's big in this program. She's a big supporter. That's what I'm thinking. That she's, you know, she's splashing cash at this. Massive supporter. Yep, yep. Whack job. So as I've said a few times, in a nutshell, he indoctrinated men to be macho misogynists and women to be subservient slaves who deserve to be treated badly. And if you don't believe what I just said, get ready for this. Oh, here it comes. 
The last major group Ranieri created within Nixium was another acronym. You're going to love it. It's called DOS in 2015. DOS stands for Dominus Obsequious Sororium, which loosely translates as Dominant Master of the Obedient Female Companions. I feel like it just just reminds me of like the good old Irish DOS houses where, you know, <laughs> The, the unemployed drunken Irish would kick around out the front of the DOS house in London. Mm, it's not quite like that. The group was comprised of women who had slave-master relationships. Like uh, the Society of Protectors, members had to give collateral to join. But the collateral that these women had to give was often in the form of nude photos of themselves or stories about Secrets in their families that they would never want released to the public to be held as blackmail over them should they ever try to leave it or tell anyone about it. Can I hang up now? (laughs) I'm nearly done. I'm nearly done, I promise. According to the New York Times, Ranieri called the group a sorority, while Alison Mack, a high-ranking member, said that the women in DOS helped each other to aspire to be better. DOS was about women coming together and pledging to one another a full-time commitment to become our most powerful and embodied selves by pushing on our greatest fears, by exposing our greatest vulnerabilities, by knowing that we would stand with each other no matter what, by holding our world, by overcoming pain. That's what she told. What's the difference between that and and the Genesis? What was the other one called? Jeunesse. Yeah. There's no, the, the slave portion. Oh, yes, exactly. that's, a, that's a big difference. This one requires... Connecting these acronyms. I'm just going, that's all that's too how she, That's how she's built it. She's built so, it there as just females empowering other females by sharing secrets. But the title of the group is The Giveaway. It's about them being slaves, isn't it, to men? Yes, and I can tell you this brand was never on their website. This was a completely secret group. Okay. Uh, only the inner echelon were involved in this. Uh, oh, at the time, at the time they got kind of disbanded. There, I think there were twenty women involved in it. Um, Whoa. Yep. And she's one of the big ones. Who was that? Sorry, Caroline. Alison Mack. Alison oh, Mack, Mack from um, Smallville. From Smallville. Okay. Yep. yep. So, you know how she talks about uh, we expose our greatest vulnerabilities. How how did the group expose their greatest vulnerabilities? All of what I'm about to talk about was advised and directed by Ranieri. So please keep that in the top of your head. I'm not shocked, though. It was reported that at each meeting, and they met three times a week, all the members of DOS were naked and had full frontal photos taken of them that were sent to Ranieri. He specified they had to look happy in these photos, and if he wasn't satisfied that the photo was close enough to the vagina, he'd ask for it to be retaken. This was... This was collateral to be used to bind the women to the group for fear of public humiliation. DOS members had to give up collateral every month. Now, let's remember the Society of Protectors. You just had to pay $1,500 and they got it back if they did the right thing. Every month, these women had to give something else that was going to hold them in, that was going to basically manipulate them so they could be blackmailed. They were terrified of any of this stuff being released. But wasn't it like women being fantastic? What did... (laughs) Ali Mack say? Correct. That's, that, yes. It's amazing. It's so nice to put our vaginas on display. It gets worse. 
Members were initiated into the group by being stripped naked, blindfolded, pushed onto a bed and in some cases a third party would begin oral sex on them while Ranieri blabbed on about sex being utilitarian and then and get over their emotional stuff. The initiate, here it comes, here we go. The initiate would then... For anyone who can't see, I've got a very troubled face on. <laughs> so have I. The initiate would then ask to be branded. When you said branding earlier, I was thinking that happens on farms too. No! That's right. In a recording between Alison Mack and Ranieri where they planned this, he advised, and this is a quote that he says, they should say, please brand me, it would be an honour or something like that. An honour I want to wear for the rest of my life. Oh, and they should probably say that before they're held down so it doesn't seem like they're being coerced. Oh, my God. No, he like this. So then, one of his um, people, one of his. Did you say earlier he blamed on? Oh yeah, that was me because I just you know. Yeah, no, no. It's, hey. it's just again one of those words that's just ticking around in my head. I'm going. He, he's, I feel like he blamed. My, he went on and on and on. He did. He never shut up. He actually had one of his entourage was a medical doctor. Okay, so you've got to remember, these are not stupid people involved in this. A medical doctor who agreed to do this and she used a cauterizing pen. She? I, yes, she. I, well, of course, she was one of the members. Oh, my God. I'm now showing. Oh, my God. For our listeners, I'm now showing Clarky and Swanee the picture of the brand. Yeah, yeah. Now, some people, they thought that was like some edgy glyph or something. I want you to hold that in your mind for now. Can you see it, Paul? Yep. Yep. I want you to yeah. hold in your mind. Hold in your mind. That looks like some kind of, I don't know, there's, room there's a little or something. Bit of a pyramid with uh, something balanced yeah. on the top of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So that's the brand. Many of DOS slaves were told to participate in various forms of self-denial, such as refraining from masturbation and limiting themselves to a 500-calorie-a-day diet and working so hard they were sleep-deprived because he liked his ladies really thin. How many zingers in 500 calories? <laughs> about, about a mouthful. <laughs> oh, God, bless. Yep. Fuck my life. They got so and thin. People they, yep. They got so thin that they stopped menstruating because they weren't producing, they didn't have enough body fat to produce the oh, estrogen required. No. Yep. These activities, like yep. activities. All right. These activities were designed to exhaust their self-control, leaving them less able to resist his manipulations. They had to ask their master, and let me be clear, their master wasn't Ranieri. It was the woman that recruited them into DOS. Ali Alison Mack had, I think, three or four slaves, one of which was India Oxenberg, who we talked about earlier. What's that woman who just has recently been convicted? What's her name? Oh. Harvey Weinberg. Harvey Weinstein. Epstein That's Weinberg. Epstein. It's Epstein. It's Epstein. It's not Weinstein. It's Epstein. She was recruiting, that's right, sex trafficking and recruiting people yeah, into yeah. him. That's yeah, the yeah. parallel I'm drawing, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And hold that thought. This is important. Okay, I'll breathe now. I'm ready. Go! <laughs> After a fair amount of time, 
uh, as a slave, you would move in with your master, you would do the cooking, the cleaning, be their administrative person, do everything they say. They had to send a note at night saying, good night, master, in the morning, Hang good on, morning, master. Slave. Was that acknowledged that they were slaves or is this just looking back? No, they knew they were slaves. It was all part of the thing and it was, they were uncomfortable with it, but they were so indoctrinated by this point that they just thought, okay, and kept going with it. And okay. anyway, they were also told to seduce Ranieri, a task that Lauren Salzman referred to as the assignment. So Salzman, however, claimed to have not known anything about the assignment until Alison Mack mentioned that slaves she had recruited were having sex with Ranieri. When Salzman confronted Ranieri about it, he denied sleeping with the women because he's a big fat liar. The seduction assignment, he said, was intended to give women an experience with the man where the man could have abused his power, but didn't. He thought it would be, would be a good growth experience for them. So noble. I love it. Isn't he? Sure. Now, she was pissed off because she was sleeping with him, didn't realise lots of other women were too, and he was hanging it over her head that he would have a baby with her because she really wanted to have a baby. So that was, her, that was the thing he was using against Lauren Salzman. Did she not okay. punch him? No, she didn't. <laughs> now, like the blokes, these ladies were doing readiness drills, having to respond with 60 seconds, you know, to do something. And if they failed or disappointed their master, they were required to do penance. Now, Carla, if you think taking the kids to Sunday morning tennis is penance? It sounds like penance, Carla. It does sound like penance. <laughs> Cop a load of it. <laughs> tennis penance, I like it. Cop yeah. a load of this, swallow it, and you'll see the blue light. <laughs> Oh, no, thanks. Did unlike the kids to tennis on a Sunday morning for penance? They probably did, but that wasn't penance. Um, unlike the Society of Protectors, the DOS members had a much more harsh punishments, including paddlings with a leather strap, which Ranieri would occasionally supervise remotely via conference call. He called in and wanted to make sure we were flicking the wrist hard enough. Hang on, is this pre-COVID? Yes, I yeah, think yeah, it yeah. is. So he, it presumed, right. so he was literally doing it on, what, FaceTime? Yeah, not yeah. appropriate. Yeah. Salzman testified that a fellow DOS member, Daniela Padilla, told her Ranieri had once been violent towards her after accusing her of being in a prideful state. She'd been on the floor and he'd kicked her. Hang on, uh, a prideful state? Mm. She just was got a bit too big for her boots. She yeah. felt good about herself? Yeah, yeah so he pushed her on the floor and kicked her. Oh, now, the thing, about the, the thing about the penance thing, right, that wasn't just in these groups. That happened in the actual overall Nexium program as well. So this misogyny, this this indoctrination was across it all. This is, but this DOS stuff is where it gets really wrong and nasty and terrible. Well, I mean, it's all wrong, but this is where it gets really nasty. He'd also planned to build a sex dungeon in the basement of the sorority house and Padilla had purchased various BDSM toys. Is that after he met Stewart at the Logies? Is that after who at the Logies? Alf Stewart? You met Alf Stewart at the Logies. If you Google um, Alf Stewart Logies, there's a thing where it's um, Paul Raymar accepting a Logie speech, but they dub over the top of it. And it's, it's um, terrible. It's, it's quite <laughs> gross, but it just feels exactly like this moment. <laughs> so she'd planned to buy cages, puppy trainers, all these sorts of things. It was really she escalating. to buy this that. Is, this is Danielle. Yeah, they're really sucked in, mate. They 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 all see themselves as having to do what he says, 
And so as part of this DOS thing, the women themselves were escalating the violence against other women in some respects. It's totally like when you're the Minister for Women as a man and you get women to do what you want rather than what women should do and what women should want. Yeah, I feel like it's more of a cross between Lord of the Flies and Animal Farm. It's like, you know... And Australian politics. Yeah, well, it's just power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I think this this group of people all started to think of themselves as very special and and, and that corrupted a lot of their thinking. Um, It happened quite late in the day, didn't it? I mean, we're talking, did you say it was 2015 was this introduction? Yes, you're making a very valid point, Carla. They've sort of got to a point where, you know, they just, I don't know, they've lost the plot. You know, things have become they so dark. They have get voted into power? Like, I feel like it's, um, there's a little bit of, you know, like, we've been through this quite recently, I think, in Australia, and it's terrible, and it... It's not. It's not the same. I get it, but but it, there's some parallels that I'm kind of struggling with. Where it's, well, I think there are themes that are absolutely the same, Paul. If you think about what has happened in Parliament, where we've got allegations of rape and sexual assault, you know, but also, just people just let the power go to their head. They think they're untouchable. This man, I will not. Like. <laughs> That was around that time, I feel like, and I support her 100%. Love her. Yep. Yes, Julia Gillard would get my vote again. But I'm going to move on because there's a little bit more to go. Ranieri, not so much. So can we say on a timeline of events, so we're about 2015, things have taken a quite dark, well, I mean, it was sick before, but a really dark turn, and there's a a tight-knit group who are really have turned the volume up on the well, not yes. so much craziness, but it's quite sick. They, and no, they're no, all you're, participating, you're, and they're they're you know they're all involved. To some degree, yeah, they are, it, they yeah. are. And it's still a pyramid scheme. You're still meant to recruit more people into this, so the pyramid remains. But no, you, you've read it right. All of that stuff that she was going to buy got cancelled because um, everything became public suddenly in the spring of 2017. So one of the former DOS slaves and a longtime friend of Salzman's, Lauren Salzman, Sarah Edmondson, who I mentioned earlier, left the group and get this, after discovering that the DOS brand was not some badass empowerment symbol. (laughs) So now let me show you what it is. Are you ready for this one? I'm not sure. I'm putting my glasses on. Let's see. Put your glasses on. So for the listeners, for the listeners, I have now shown the same brand turned on its side and inverted. And you can see very clearly it is the initials of Keith Allen Ranieri. So he, narcissistic animal, has had these women branded with his own brand. And I will tell you, India Oxenberg had flash drives with a recorded conversation of some of the members of this DOS group and Ranieri where he shows them the design and he talks about it being his initials. So they knew, some of them knew, and they say that's okay because when it's on its side it looks really edgy and you could just say it's some kind of glyph or something. Ooh. Yep. Sarah Edmondson, she's badass, right? You know, yes, queen. (laughs) She tells her husband, who's also in Nexium, about this. He tells her husband, okay. You say that like we should know her? 
Should she's we? an actress. She's a Canadian actress. So she's relatively famous and she's particularly famous for this. I'm, um, I'm very, very low on pop culture. So I just need you to. Yeah, you wouldn't have heard of her from her acting. And that was part of the reason she joined Nexium because she, she was sort of stalled career wise. Yeah. And she thought that this thing would help her. And that's kind of how she got sucked in. Yeah. But she, so she's much more famous for now being in documentaries about this Nexium thing. So anyway, um, she told her husband, and her husband was a senior person in uh, Nexium as well, and he lost his shit. And he, there is footage of him confronting Ranieri in front of other members of Nexium, and more importantly, male members of Nexium, saying something along the lines of "You fucking branded my wife," you know, like he just loses it. And all of a sudden, this secret sorority thing is blown up within Nexium itself, and people are like, "What? What the?" You can't. How do you what? Mean? How could it branded? be? Yeah, who got branded? Uh, and it starts. What do you mean? And then, then she um goes. She goes completely public with it. And the New York Times published an expose featuring an interview and photographs of the brand for, on her pelvis because he do, it's right next near the JJ is where he has them done. Oh, of course. course. Yeah. Anyway, as Carla's nailed, she's quite right. This was the beginning of the end for Nexium. So we return to our next. Badass woman, Catherine Oxenberg. Yes, Queen. This is the actress and the daughter of Her Royal Highness, former Royal Highness of a Princess Yugoslavia. of Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia. Yes. Who also features, she's, she's interviewed in Seduced as well. Uh, I think it's The Seduced. She's brilliant. So India, as I said before, was in this for ages and ages, really, really sucked in. The whole country or the daughter? Uh-huh. India Oxenberg, the daughter of Catherine, was in XEM, deeply in XEM. She was also in DOS. She was one of Alison Mack's slaves. She recruited a couple of girls in as well, but they were not branded and they hadn't done the assignment by the time this all blows up. The assignment is you have to um, have sex with Ranieri. Yeah, 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 yeah. And by the way, you know earlier how how uh, he told Lauren Salzman that they weren't having sex with him. Oh yes, they were. He paid Alison Mack to deliver India to him. Also important for the legal proceedings. Deliver. Okay. Yes. What, so like an Uber slave or something? Is that a, a, a yeah, branch? Yeah. Menu log me a slave if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. So Catherine Oxenberg was using. All of her power, like she doesn't have much, but she was reaching out to everyone she could to try and get someone to pay attention to this case. And it wasn't really being, she wasn't really getting anywhere. And everyone was like, sorry, your daughter's in a cult, but what can we do about it? She's an adult. She's consenting, can't do anything about it kind of routine. But Paul, as you mentioned earlier, incorrectly, but coincidentally, when Harvey Weinstein. What a coincidence. There's always that moment. Correct. So Sarah Edmondson goes public. Harvey Weinstein blows up, not not literally, but the case blows up. Me Too starts to be a thing. And so Catherine Oxenberg took that, that opportunity to go public herself with a her story about India, to get India out because she's still deeply entrenched. The Justice Department, yeah, the Justice Department had already been working on a case, was gathering evidence about Ranieri and... This is the bit you'll all enjoy. Ranieri was arrested by Mexican federal police authorities in a luxury villa outside Puerto Vallarta in March 2018. For doing cocaine? No, he'd run away. So when it all went to shit, 
and there was uh, Sarah Edmondson came out about things. People were leaving Nexium right, left, and centre. He knew the jig was up. He left before the before the jaws of justice were closing on him. Anyway, they managed to track him down because one of his uh, acolytes was so stupid. She Instagrammed herself somewhere in Porta Vallarta, and so they were like, "Ah, oh, that's where they are." Oh. So they that's how they caught him. So they arrested him. Now I just want to say this. Say that again. I said they arrested him. Good job. Uh, more comes, but I just want to ask you this, right? Go back to all that readiness trials. Go back to, so they did a lot of psychological experiments on people, all this stuff. If Keith Ranieri wasn't a sex addict and ended up being hoisted on his own petard, how long before he weaponized the group? There was What's 16. Petard, the expression hoisted on your own petard. It's where you hung on your own jib. It's an old-fashioned expression. My view, okay, so sorry, I've probably taken a bit of a leap here, but my view, back to what Carla was saying, was he spends 20 years doing all of this indoctrination of people, but he escalates too quickly on the DOS stuff. So it goes from stuff people can put up with to stuff people can't put up with really quickly, and that's when they crack the shits and it becomes public, whatever. So his own rush in that last two years is really what foiled him. Because he, he probably could have kept getting away with stuff, taking more time over it. Certainly the branding. Because the branding yeah. cannot yeah. be covered up as well. Yeah. That, yeah. And in people's minds, that is something that is, it's not just, oh, we had some kinky sex or something happened like that. It's about, you know, dominance control. It takes it to another level. And because you can't hide that if you want to, you know, it's, you know, it's there for yeah. all to see. Yeah. No, I, 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 I do agree with that. I, I wonder, though, when you say it escalated too quickly, is it because there was a really sharp change in societal views on this sort of stuff as well? And those two things, he might have been able to get away without the slow progression, but for society's views changing very quickly at the same time. You could be absolutely right, because Catherine Oxenberg had been trying for ages to get someone to pay attention and no one did. And then all of a sudden, right. a movement happened right. and that... that that allowed them. See, the really interesting thing is no one was really chasing him for being a, a pyramid scheme again. You know, so so from a business perspective, he was getting away with it from that perspective. It was only because this sudden salacious news about sex cult came out that it really, because that's, they said, my daughter's in a sex cult, you know, because it was. And so that kind of got the the real momentum around the case. Like the, um, the film industry? Do you know what I think it may also have a little bit to do with is the fact that certainly initially a lot of the people that were involved and who could afford to be involved were people who were educated, who were well-connected. And it's a little bit like when the Me Too sort of curtain was drawn back. These people that we've all looked at and thought, oh, she's so beautiful, she's so talented, she's so whatever else. Well, it was happening to all these people. So I think perhaps under that guise, they were also thought, oh, shit, that's what we've been, you know, putting up with or doing as well. It was sort of it made it sort of a little bit acceptable in some ways to come out at that time that the environment yeah. was right people were open to hearing that and weren't thinking oh you yeah know, you're... And, you go. and i i literally quoted Catherine oxenberg around the timing of how that worked she was the one saying once the harvey weinstein thing happened and me too happened that was my moment people were listening yes yeah. i could yeah. see that would be the case yeah yeah all, all i was going to ask though is i mean as as you listen and you read and you you follow it. You just get to a point where you think, "What was he planning?" Because yeah, you know, he was doing this sleep deprivation, this um, readiness trials. He was starving people. He was doing psychological experiments. 
I didn't get into it, but you, he could have gone another direction. He could have weaponized them. You could have had a major terrorist group within their means if that's where he decided to go. If you think about other cults like um, Jonestown and Heaven's Gate and Waco and that sort of thing, you know, he had that kind of influence over these people. But he just wants to be um, an all-important being like any... I think he thought he was a sex god or something. You know, like it, but did, yeah. but, but did they all just come out in court? Like, I mean, yes, all I, just came I wanted out that from the beginning. What, what did come out? What did, or did he probably didn't speak? Oh, no, there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing about weaponising or anything like that. The court case was all around the charges which were... That's trial by one licence right there. No, 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 I'm about to read what happened in the trial, so I'm not making this up. Okay. Uh, The the charges they were able to bring against him because they had enough evidence were sexual exploitation of a child and possession of child pornography with regard to minor victim, Uh, sex trafficking of Nicole, attempted sex trafficking of Jay. Their fake names, don't know who those people are. I was going to say, I don't know who they are. I'm not supposed to. Right, good. (laughs) No. Identity theft against Edgar Bronfman, James Lopafito, Ashana Chinoa, Mariana, another made-up name, and Pam Kafritz, trafficking for labour and services of Daniela, forced labour of Nicole, another one, conspiracy to alter records for use in an official proceeding and sex trafficking conspiracy, forced labour conspiracy, racketeering conspiracy and wire fraud conspiracy. Okay. They don't even relate to what he did, I feel like. No, and... That was part of the challenge for the Justice Department was what can we get him on? You know, I talked about the... Marisa Hagatay, like she would have got him. Special Victims Unit. She would have. Marisa Hagatay. 500 episode this week, just saying. She would have yeah. sorted it. Yeah. But the sex trafficking is all around. You know, I told you Alison Mack got paid to deliver India. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah. A, that was basically the major piece of information they needed and to prove that kind of thing because otherwise it just looks like a whole bunch of women who consent to all of this. Yes, exactly. And yeah. even the people who didn't get paid, the forced labour, they didn't get paid but they consented to it. And guess what he said in his own court case? It wasn't me. They consented to it. I haven't done anything wrong. That's right. Oh, oh. he agreed to it. That's right. So how much time do you think... He should have. He should be uh, given for these crimes. Too fucking many. Not enough. <laughs> okay, Carla. How much time do you think would be an adequate sentence for our friend Keith Allen Ranieri? I don't know. Uh, and this is not our sentence. This is just. I just want oh, to see. I think they gave him. Yeah, I want to see where you fare against the actual American justice system. Is this just years in jail as opposed to what we really yeah. wanted? Yeah, That's right. This is. How many years in jail do you think he got sentenced for? Because he definitely went down for this. I'm going to go nine years. I'm going to go 25 to 50. I don't know. No one, oh, you guys. There's no murder, guys. is there? There's no I don't murder. There's no murder. It sounds like a murder. The charges didn't sound as serious as I would like them to sound. 18 months. Well, so. well I tell you what, Paul. You should, not under, you should not undervalue the importance of sex trafficking as a crime and child pornography as a crime in the US. He has right. been sentenced to 120 years. Wow. I feel That's like he's brilliant. not going to serve them. No, it's a, li- it's a life uh, sentence, but literally it's 120 years. And, and as I said... Didn't murder anyone, which is, uh, by the way, I'm fine with him getting 120 years. I think that's really okay. 
But it's really interesting when you hear someone murders someone and they get nine years. The big ticket items are the trafficking and child pornography. Is that right? Yeah. And the forced labour and the racketeering. No, I think they... It's like you um, (laughs) teach people how to play tennis. I knew you were going to say that. And I nearly... I nearly spat champagne out of my nose. I knew you were going to say that. It's not champagne. It's conversatory. But anyway, to um, make you also feel better because last week we were very disappointed at the lack of accountability. Alison Mack is now serving three years in jail. Claire Bronson is serving 81 months, whatever that is. Three years? Uh, uh, most of these people. Uh, Alison the- Nut Punch. She needs one. Plea deal. Plea deal, my friend. When you cooperate with the prosecution and you get a pre- plea deal. It cuts it down. Ali Max doing three years. Can I Claire just ask Bron- you a question? Hang on. Yep. So when the judge announced that old mate KR had a 120-year lo- uh, sentence, did he actually get a clown on a unicycle juggling to come in and announce it? Because there's no way anyone is going to serve a 120-year sentence. So it's clearly no, a joke. No, it's not a joke. It's... um. Effectively, it's a life sentence, and I think what they do is they they give you sentences for different crimes of different periods, and instead of saying consecutive, they've added them together. I, you, I get what you're saying. Once you die, do you have to stay in a jail cell for the <laughs> rest of Leave him there to rot. They'll leave him there until he's technically 160 years old, and then they'll take his body out and put it somewhere. Okay, well, yes. no, that's fair enough then. That's great. That makes sense. That's I'm what okay. we want. I'm okay with that. Lauren Salzman pleaded guilty to racketeering. She got five years. Nancy Salzman, prefect, 42 months. I don't know what that is because I don't know why there's years and months. Kathy Russell, who we've never even heard of. She was just the poor bookkeeper. She did a bit of visa fraud and she's got two years. Uh, And Claire Bronfman, the heiress to the Seagram family uh, cash, 81 months. So I can't, I can't deal with a change between years and months. So it's just it's making my mind tick. No, I know. I'm sorry. I just copied it from Wiki because I couldn't deal with anything by the time I got to this point. That's it, guys. That is the story, my telling of the story of Nexium, because there's plenty more to tell, and I will happily talk about it as bonus content at another time. But right now, I want to know, having been on this wild ride with me, who you would sentence for what crime and how you would sentence them. Do you need a little bit of time to think so I can go wee-wees? Yep. So can you put some big music on for us? (laughs) No, I'm just going to go wee-wees. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. Okay. The sentencing part. Who's guilty of what and how are you going to sentence them? It's very complicated. Yeah, we've got crimes against marketing, which I'm very offended by. Crimes oh, against good. children, crimes that, against... That's our second lot of crimes against marketing. <laughs> I know. Uh, crimes against Nexium's enemies, crimes against other members of the group, rape, coerced isolation as well as fraud, racketeering, child, child pornography. Like, we've got a gambit here. Okay, so so for racketeering, we should definitely take them all off the... Um, ATP, never to hold a racket again. <laughs> oh, of Dad, that, that's so funny. Of that, I'm convinced. <laughs> was that part of dad I joke? thought she just said that was a dad <laughs> joke, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still correct. You need a little drum roll with it. 
There's there's a lot of nut punches to be dished out. <laughs> you know that? Remember that thing you showed us from the Coles book? Oh yeah, yeah. the whipping the whipping post or the whipping. Yeah, yeah. I want a nut punch post that probably goes the opposite way and just nut punches everyone on the way through. Just wake up to yourself, Perry. There needs to be a lot of wake up to yourself, Perry moments in this. Yeah. Yes, there could be a little bit of um, Priscilla with light your tampon and blow your box apart because that's the only bang you're going to get. Like, you know, there was a couple of women there that I wasn't a big fan of. Yes. Alice and Max, the one that's had the most... The women were um, totally enabling it to to happen, really. You know, it's sort of like it's nearly through their support and them being in his upper hierarchy that legitimises it to the other women who are, you know, joining and they think, oh, well, you know, it's all... It's such a good women's group. It's so supportive. (laughs) so empowered. club or I don't know. I feel Um, so empowered while I'm outside at 3 o'clock in the morning in the snow naked because my master's told me to do that. I feel really empowered by that book club yeah. having photographs of your vajijay oh look i haven't they just touched the surface of a lot of the stuff i think the that was the kind of the point around um if you're a woman who makes it in a man's world you know you then become potentially supportive of the whole construct and mm. i i almost like i can think of a couple of instances where i think that there are it's that's almost the precursor to change and so you know for a long time there's no women who make it then there's those women who do make it and almost end up getting burned in the process because they're the ones who start to bring women into the world and then everyone just goes god they were fucking weird because who would ever want to be a part of that but if they weren't maybe you wouldn't get the next step i'm not I've experienced, certainly I haven't been in a sex cult, but I've experienced similar behaviours in the professional world where you've got women who have been competing to be in this man's world and they have forgotten how to be empathetic. They've forgotten how to be women. Well, they've bought into what they think they have to be and then they treat you in a way that is just just doesn't align with your values or your ethics or your experience or your morals. But you're right, Paul, because you end up in this situation where you feel like, oh, but that's what it means to be to to go up to the next level. That's that's what's expected of me to do that. And that's exactly what happened with these girls. You know, that oh, oh, to go up to the next level, because remember the whole thing's a pyramid. To get to the next level, to get the next I've got to do this. To ne- and you by this time you're so indoctrinated in this idea of the things I have to do to get to the next level that you just do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm thinking um, more so in the context of, of sport, and there's a couple of um, of sports commentators who are women that I've got in mind, and I don't want to know this, but I just think, you know, they've either been, to make it in a man's world, they've had to be either really harsh and really almost bitchy, or really try to, when they when they call the footy, get these guttural tones that men somehow feel like they need to give when they um, call the footy, none of which I agree with, but then all of a sudden you start to get the next generation who don't feel any of that because right. because now they're allowed to be part because, of the sport. Because there's a there's an entrance to it, so they don't have to be that. You're right, yeah. They're, and, they're, and someone that, else those, has paved the way. Someone's paved the way, but the person yeah, who paved the way sacrificed something. Someone's, someone's been that compromising person who's had to 
it's it's a it's not the same thing. It's very different. These people were doing the wrong thing, but maybe there's a little bit of that going on. I don't know. I, I still have a problem. Oh yeah, no, yeah, without a doubt. I don't feel that any of the women who left this were empowered by the end of it. I don't feel. I think all of them were disempowered. If you went into this thinking that that's what you're going to get out of it, they got the opposite out of it. They got their confidence stripped. They got basically everything stripped away from them and they they are having to rebuild themselves as people. And yeah, no, what I'm saying is that I, I hope they didn't get anything positive out of it because it's not a, it's not a good It's not something I'm supportive of, but, no. but then perhaps that's enough punishment for them. Okay, so that means that our key perp in this case is Vanguard himself, perhaps? Okay. Can I ask a question? Because I don't think we yes, sort of sorry. really, well, we've, we've touched on it, but I still am sort of uncertain at the end of it. Go all. ahead. And I know you probably could have done three episodes on it. Do you think his motivation was purely, well, not even purely, that's not the right word, but predominantly sex and power as opposed to like, I, would, I kept thinking there was going to be a point in it where you were saying, oh, and they were making loads of money. Oh, and they were buying property. here. You know how you often hear there's that side story and it was about, you know, acquiring wealth and whatever else and, you know, and also taking advantage of people. But do you think this, like his focus was totally on making women subservient to him, having sex with them, making them his slaves? Is that, do you think that was his modus operandi? Yeah, and I'm going to say this is entirely my opinion because I'm not a psychologist. Um, I've just done a lot of reading on it, as in I read about this case. And it's a good question. They made a lot of money. I don't know where it went. And so that, that was one of the things I was left with as a question is where did all the money go? And they bought lots of houses and they, I think he burned a lot of the Bronfman's money. Like I don't know what he did with it, but I think he, I think he was just ridiculous with money. They, someone talked about them showing up in a Learjet. Like I think they were, they spent a lot of money. So to have any property in New York that was accommodating that many people for meetings or whatever, that would just be astronomical. Yeah, there was, there was money. If you're asking me what, what was his true motivation? Yeah. I have literally not agonized, but I've, this is the question I've had in my mind the whole time. And that's why I went back to what if he wanted to weaponize them? Like what, where was he going with all of this? And, and I actually think that if you think about the story of his mother, so when, when his mother was sick and he was sort of 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and he's looking after his mother who, who made him this kind of the man of the family kind of situation, he was apparently bullied at school as well. And I feel like he had this formative experience of being a very controlling master of his mother. And I, I think that plays out in his relationships with women from that moment on. And I could be wrong. His father, by the way, was a bit of a philanderer, but I'm not sure how much that really plays into this. I, I think he... stamps? I think he hated women, Carla. I think he hated women. And his way of, his way of dealing with the way he hated women was to turn them into this subservient slave to him. Do you reckon he had a Jesus complex? Oh, totally. We, we know that. His father told him he was really smart and at seven he said, I'm oh, like Jesus Christ, I'm better than everyone else. Yeah, Absolutely. No, I know, Absolutely. I know, I know that came out earlier, but I feel like, I actually don't think any of this is about sex. I feel like it's a lot of it is about him, um, bit of, I want to be a superior being more so than. So I want to be better than everyone else. What, 
he says, then he is getting, I don't know, maybe enlightened in his world. You know, a little bit Kanye West, maybe not. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but it is a little bit like that. I mean, where do we, where do you make the leap? Because, because you know, a lot of people who, like, when we use the word cult now, we can use it because, you know, clearly it was. But people who have a cult normally have a vision that they've shared with everybody of where they're headed or where they want to go. And that's where I find it difficult with him was I don't really know ultimately where his path, where he thought they were going. What was, mm. and that's when you're talking about weaponizing or whatever else. What, I don't know where either. Where was he going? It, I don't know it, where it was going. It got really dark, but I mean. It's not clear to me either. And yeah. the, the other question you asked earlier was about the, the relationship with him and the prefect. And I've asked the question of what was in it for her? Why was she in this? What was she, what was she doing? Like, I don't know that they were in a sexual relationship. She doesn't look like his type, to be honest. He had so many other birds. But he could have been controlling her with that. I've just worked it out. What is it? Magic penis. <laughs> <laughs> no, apparently he was not that fabulous either. Apparently. Oh, God. I mean, none of them really... The blue light. The blue light yes. says differently. People do weird stuff because of, maybe it was magic tongue. I don't, I don't get it at all. Uh, I just... think it was magic engagement. I think there was something about this man that engaged people into something that they wanted to believe in. And, and going back to what I was saying earlier about consent, India Oxender consented to something that wasn't what was being delivered. She consented to being part of a program that would help her to realise the things that she wanted to realise, that would make her a better person, all those sorts of things. She didn't consent to being trafficked as a sex slave. When we go back to the um, Gail Newland case, and we remember we talked then about, I didn't consent to having sex with a woman with a strap on, I consented to having sex with a man. Yeah. The, the, you know, it's like, what are you believing in the moment that it's you're consenting very... to? At what so point I, did... I, I don't know the answer. I just think it's fascinating. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, it really is. And at what point did she consent to going from a self-help program to having old mate on his knees? <laughs> yeah, and, and... it's 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 really it's really like it's death by a thousand cuts. Like it's it's it always just... is though, isn't it? Like it's yeah, just... it's this very slow, and that's why I say the mistake, he, whoever it was, whether it's Alison Mack or himself or the women of DOS, the mistake they made is they escalated too fast. Well, no, I mean, thank God they did because... I reckon they didn't. I reckon society at the same time went through this massive change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah you're right, you're right, you're right. And it, if you do that, if we do that shift of like I can do in the editing where I can shift a clip to, 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 to line it up, if we took the clip of that time and we put it back and we lined it up to 2010, you're right. It could still have been going on for another five, ten years. Have been a problem. Anyway, it would never have happened. As Paul would say, great exploration. But what are you going to sentence? Good chat. Good chat. But how are you going to sentence this motherfucker? And he did fuck mothers, and he fucked daughters, and he fucked aunties. He fucked everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good clarification. And that's what happens. Yeah. That's what happens after I've had a drink. Heads up. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you got the go-go juice finally because, uh, no, because, no, in fact, yeah. no, in fact, what I was going to say is the first bit, bit was very fact-driven. Now we're getting a little bit more trial-by-wine style, which I like. Yes, oh, no, I totally agree, but I was, uh, I was nervous about this case because I wanted to do it justice and there was a lot in it. Yeah. And we think so, you have. How about I start? Because you guys are really struggling. Yeah, it is tricky. 
I've got yeah, you do yours, was, and then I'll go next. Go. Not only have I spent three weeks investigating, investigating is the wrong word, looking in, <laughs> into and, and reading and really getting into this case, but I've also spent three weeks going into the house going, oh, my God, this case, and telling everyone about it. So my, my sentence is a bit of a mix of my own sentence and then a suggestion that my sister made. Which one? So I think, Kate, Kate, because that's the one I live uh, with. Not the hub no, not the hub club. We were still in lockdown when um when I was doing this. So I don't. I think there are the the women of DOS were complicit, but I I fundamentally believe, apart from maybe prefect, because I still don't know what her motivation was or what she knew or what she didn't know and what what was really going on with her. But I think they were victims of this influence that was you know under Renieri, right? So I th- I absolutely see him as the person I'm going to sentence. And I'm going to sentence him to a little bit of cauterizing pen, a little bit of his own ideas. And I'm going to ask someone to, on a daily basis, cauterize his feet. Just a little bit, maybe let's say two centimeters line. Because, you know, you think about when you burn yourself, you know, you burn yourself on the stove or something and then it hurts for ages, it takes ages. So we're just going to, speaking of death by a thousand cuts, we're just going to do a little, little cauterize. And then I've got to ask him to go out for a nice walk in the recreational yard for, you know, let's say an hour. And then the next day we're going to do another bit and another bit and another bit. And by the end of, at some point, he's going to basically have all of his feet cauterized and still have to walk on them because that's highly painful. Now, the second part, which is Kate's suggestion, which I didn't even go. So before anyone tells me off, (laughs) is at the same time, his penis and balls need to have a similar treatment. Just a little bit of cauterization, a little dab. Apparently it's much, according to India Oxenberg, it's exceptionally painful. Kate, we love you. Never, ever. Don't upset Kate. Don't upset Kate. She's going to cauterize. She's like, cauterize his balls and his penis, the bastard. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll build that in. And then I think where Carla may go with this is after he's finished his walk, I'd like him to then go into solitary confinement because you, you know me so well. So I want him to have burns. And look, we can mix this up. I'm, I'm open to it. But uh, I want him to be burned like he burned these women, like he burned the brains of 16,000 people. And I want him to be no one. Yes, that's Because mine. that's what's important to him. So he's in yeah. solitary confinement. No one cares about him. And I think my last line said, uh, where is it? Something about, oh, we'll just call him him over there. We won't even give him a name because he gave himself the name of Vanguard. And yeah. that is my sentence for 120 years as it goes. I think that's brilliant, And you've totally, you've totally gone, you've totally tapped into what I would have said, which was what what would really piss him off would be to be nobody, to have no access to any women ever again. I don't want him to see another woman in his life. It'd be very um, hard even if he did because he's got a cauterized penis. Yeah, and if he if he did, I would, I, again, just to be a nobody would be the worst thing. No access to women. If he, you know, maybe people that were near him carried a little bit of extra weight because it pissed him off so much. I just Lesbians. think have no contact. Fat lesbians. Fat yeah. lesbians fat just paraded past him so he can't go anywhere near them. Definitely. Fat lesbians with fat fingers, the best kind. Yeah. Property well, of a big fat bird, big branding on him because I just, yeah, away from anybody. 
No contact. Anyone who people. makes him feel special. Anyone Correct. who don't, That's anybody. don't talk to him. We're gonna leave it there. And knowing that he you know, he's got such charm with anyone who's slightly vulnerable, he just can't be around anybody at all. So he's just a nobody, non entity. Yeah. Just suffering so no, I had a note earlier and um Paul will appreciate this. Do you not think he's a bit like Rasputin? In this love, sort of... love the Russian queen. <laughs> ra ra Rasputin, that's right. Poison into his wine. <laughs> Yeah, but he was supposed to be a mesmerizer. He was supposed to mesmerize people, and this he guy was a love machine. If I recall, the Russian birds thought he was always saying "ra." Ah, I think the women of Dos thought that uh, Ranieri was "ra ra Rasputin." Yeah, magic anyway, penis. magic penis. Yes, and Paul. Well, what have you got for us, Clarky? Oh, I'm not sure. It's really. I don't know where to start and where to finish because it's um. You know, I, I understand that the DOS were victims, but a victim who makes victims doesn't make you innocent. And in yes, fact, and supported. You are supported by the uh, justice system in America. That's why they got tried. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I would like to see um, more than nut punches for DOS. If <laughs> someone started listening right now, that sentence would have been. I'd like to see more than nut punches for DOS. And everyone would be like, what? Who was DOS? What are nut punches? It's brilliant. Isn't that a computer programming? Yeah, exactly. Why are we picking on DOS? You know, you may as well pick on, you know, Visual Basic. Like, what's probably DOS? Turtle or whatever it was back in the day. But really, listen from the start then. Don't. Don't half hear a story. That's no. right. <laughs> Case in point. So what do you think you would, what's more than a nut punch? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure, but that's, that's, certainly, that's certainly minimum sentence. That's not 120 year sentence because, you know, that's unachievable, but yeah. absolute minimum for DOS nut punch. <laughs> it could be maybe those, um, you know, those, you get the, the little steel balls and you, Lift one, it goes ting, and it knocks the other one around. Maybe yeah. dogs could just form one of those things and just fucking whack them from one end to the other the whole day. That would be okay too. His balls. Well, no, not his balls, because they're hers, and they don't have balls. They don't have nuts. I'd get a good piece of corn cob, and I would <laughs> corn cobble the bitches so they can't walk again. Mm-hmm. And I feel like. <laughs> I feel like it's a, a new punishment that we've literally invented this episode, but I will happily mm-hmm. push forward with that. So I'm going to mm-hmm. maybe I might go and like run into a cornfield, not like children of the corn style, but you know, just <laughs> grab a, a fuckload of cobs and then hobble people like an octopus, <laughs> like an angry octopus. You're very angry misery. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's what DOS is going to get. And hobbling. Corn cobbling, we're going to call it. Right, yeah. Corn yeah, cobbling. Yeah. Bit of corn cobbling, right. Old mate, though, KR. Oh, That's the main. There's just not. There, there's a thing that comes to mind, and, and I think someone told it to me as a joke, but it, it's not funny. But it was something along the lines of what's small and sits in front of a mirror and gets redder and redder or something. Good. What is it? Um, a baby peeling its head with a potato peeler. No, 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 combing its hair with a potato oh. peeler or something. 
Oh. Like, like it's not funny, but I feel like that's what old mate needs, you know. So you, so you want to flay him a little bit, a bit of a regular flay? I just want to um, oh. make him feel a lot, a lot of pain. And, you know, yeah, it doesn't, okay. have, doesn't have to be a full scalping and it doesn't have to be just on the head, but I just think, uh, you know, I, I was not a fan of Tony Abbott, still I'm not. And I'm not saying that Tony have this KR, but I can see some parallels that don't make me comfortable. Okay. So you're hurting him in increments. Killing him softly with his song. Killing him softly with his words. Okay. Maybe we could do a slight amount of rebranding and actually call the different sub-brands what they actually were. So instead of DOS and whatever else it was, it could have been, you know, um, slaves or, you know, just just keep it really simple. And what yeah. about, I never got this, Gen what wasn't Genesis, what was it called? Genesis. It, it didn't Genesis. mean anything. It was just some made up bullshit name. No, so just call it like, you know, treating women like shit or make like Oh, shit. yeah, yeah. And then well, the men, actually, they were called the protectors. Actually, it was like, well, you know, stroking male egos. Just call it what it is. Call Genesis a... Subgroup of Nexium of which we would like to recruit DOS members because yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, women who are the problem float to the top and become DOS members because, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I'm not quite sure we landed it, but I think we landed it. I would like to say, because I, uh, as listeners would know, started my alcoholic drinking much later than some others. All of the views and opinions expressed by the trial by whiners are our own and we know nothing about Tony Abbott and his psychological profile, nor anything to do with uh, anyone in the Australian political system. <laughs> I, I must say, I have a big mouth with no fat. So, um, Just making yeah. that clear before someone tries to sue it. Yeah. <laughs> might might okay. sound funny has no factual basis. So, did you like the case? Very much. Love it. Yes, yes. I think I'll do a bit of extra research on it. I found it that interesting. Yeah, no, it's absolutely fascinating. For anyone interested, watch Seduced, watch The Vow, watch The Lost Women of Nexium. Absolutely amazing. All right, got there. Rainieri's a bastard, we all know that, and we've made him suffer. So thank you very much for listening. I know that was a big case you guys and your input what would you like to say nothing okay great <laughs> I, I was wondering whether carla wanted to jump in with something um and and maybe you do maybe you don't i feel like and maybe i should have said this in my sentencing but um there's there's a reason the nazi party ended up <laughs> becoming a thing and it was because people who are very good people stand by and allow someone who is not a good person to sprout their filth and and i don't want to um compare this to to what happened in um nazi germany but but i just think that people follow a path and it becomes horrible before they even know it and, and this is not the same scale but it's just it's just off and and could we all just be a little bit kind and nice because everyone's struggling in their own journey and, you know, let's give more hugs and less Paddlings. 
Phil. Cuddlings and Brandy. BDSM and Brandy. Totally agree with you, Paul. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Carla? I'm done. I think we've covered it and I think it was a really interesting case and I'm, I'm quite keen to go and do a bit more reading on it myself. Mm, um, okay. Well, well found, Schmidty. Well researched. Obviously, there's a hell of a lot to it. Twenty years is a long time to be pulling something like that yeah. off, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad he's in jail. 120 years might not seem. Um, it's just life imprisonment, and I think he deserved it 100. Anyway, thanks a lot, guys. As always, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, I shall <laughs> see you next week. I'm grateful. Right. This time with you all. Love you much. Bye, bye. Love you. Miss you Until already. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Okay. Bye. Now. 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 Bye. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com trial by wine or visit our website www.trialbywine.com to donate to us your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences we really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us our cover art is by john christo and music is by beauchamp from pixabay.com